and welcome to Beyond the Pixel, episode four. I'm technical designer Luis Fernando Sandrin, and joining me as always, digital artist Ken Ha. Hey, hey. Hey, Ken, so we got some stuff to swing through, huh? Yes, <laughs> some stuff to swing through. Uh, okay, so today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite films, probably of all time. It's it's a high water mark for me right now in terms of animation, storytelling, definitely design. Uh, it's uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'm gonna do a little bit of a, a little bit of a breakdown and an analysis on the technical animation side about what they did in this uh, film that was so special. And then I also wanted to uh, go into a bit of the initial conceptual phases because it was actually a, a, a very interesting project. Um, and it was such a unique type of movie that I think it really warrants like a look into how they were able to develop this specific art style because it's a whole technical pipeline that they had to go through. Um, and then we're going to get into some of your games that you've picked, right? One yeah. of them I have actually really wanted to play. Uh, the first first of your topics you want to you want to tell everyone what it is sure uh i think the one you're talking about is hard space yes hard uh, space. yeah yeah hard space shipbreakers i'm gonna wrap around to the end uh on that one in the middle as we take a little break i want to talk about sort of the dead spaces that we have in uh in games sometimes where, where games let themselves breathe and i recently played an indie game that was really hardcore about having that emptiness and, and it influenced you, the game design in an interesting it? way what do you mean that emptiness? Like, sorry, like when you the said part dead space, I game... thought about real, actual the dead space game person. <laughs> no, that's a different conversation. Okay, yeah. What I mean, mean more more like dead spaces in, in when the game doesn't ask you to do anything and oh, you are are meandering and you're trying to figure out well what's going on here and and this game, Arrest of a Stone Buddha, an indie yeah. game, uh, did some interesting things with that. Okay, cool. But first, let's. What? Let's hit the Spider-Man. I'm really excited um, okay, yeah. to hear what so, you have to say. Uh, due to our not wanting to get DSCM or DMCA'd, uh, we put together a bit of like a PowerPoint presentation uh, that we're gonna that uh, you can bring up here, uh, and it's just pretty much a few photos and and screen grabs that I grabbed um, that will kind of highlight what they've done um, in in this uh, in the series. So. First of all, do you, you you saw this movie, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I was <laughs> oh actually super late me, in Ken? watching it. Uh, it's it's actually super. I I watched it three years after it came out, or like wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's so. This for, year, I watched it m maybe a year and a few months ago. Like it's it's pretty okay. recently. Um, it came out so twenty eighteen. No, so maybe a couple of years. Maybe a couple of years. Uh, yeah. The time frame might be wrong, but. Uh, I had a lot of other artists tell me that this film was amazing. And actually, the reason I didn't watch it wasn't because I didn't want to. I'm a, I'm a massive Spider-Man fan. Um, but I, I just never found the time to sit down and really, like... I, I knew I wanted to enjoy it, right? So I, I had to, like, plan time where I'm just watching it and just focusing on it. Um, yeah, I gotcha. But when I finally saw it, man, it, it freaking blew me away. Holy... I think it's, I think it's the best Marvel movie like hands down right now period it's best definitely movie, in that direction in at least in my opinion and also just how much they they really push the boundaries in so many different ways um and the the and i'll get into uh, a little bit of this but the film takes a lot of risks like uh, not just like the kind of risks in terms of uh storytelling but 
they take a lot of risks with the whole animation process. Uh, I mean, you've seen it. it the, they do a very unique blend of actual 3D, um, but they accentuate it with style, like classic comic book style styling, um, like adding in half tones and stuff. Um, hmm. So. Uh, I wanted to get a little bit into what they did specifically in terms of the animation and rendering. So if you go to the next uh, slide here. Bam. So the first thing that most people will notice is this movie, if you if you download this movie or, or can stream it, if you pause at any moment, it it's it's every every frame is a painting. And this isn't something that you can do with all movies because most movies, especially with like uh, real life movies, um, they have blur on you know, the natural blur that our eyes kind of sees uh, translated through the camera. But in Spider-Verse, they don't do any actual blurring. Um, and instead to get this effect uh, for depth of field, they pretty much do an, a, a technique called chromatic aberration. Have you ever heard mm. of this technique before? Uh, usually in games, yes. Yeah, so it's a little. It's gotten a little bit more popular in games. Essentially, what it is is if you imagine that, like, this is a pixel, right? Um, and then what they do is they they split that pixel into two, and then they hue color shift it while offsetting it a little bit. Mm. So you can kind of imagine what it looks like. Uh, it's the same thing. What it looks like when you watch a three D film that red and that red and blue kind of. If you watch it without the glasses, you'll see two. Uh, images overlaid each other a red one and then a blue one right sort of like our logo kind of exactly like our logo actually probably heavily inspired by this movie because i took a <laughs> lot I, I took a lot of from this movie when i uh, i did an earlier analysis on it um so what they did was that if you look over in miles shoulder the reason i highlighted this particular part was because miles is sharp and in the middle here like on the left side and then if you look over his shoulder, you see the background and you can see that chromatic aberration that they did. And that allows it your eye to mimic the type of focusing that happens for when you see something that's blurry and you see something mm. that's close. Because when your eye focuses in on a particular distance, maybe someone that you're talking to, in this case, like maybe where Miles is sitting, everything else becomes a bit blurry. And mm -hmm. you'll notice this is the same thing with like uh, digital cameras. They have a specific focal range that you're always tuning based on how far uh, the subject is from the camera. And then things that are further or closer within that range will be a bit blurry. And then use that same level of like um, kind of shift, but they just have it so that they shift the overall image instead. So what this allows is that every image, there's none of that actual uh, kind of weird smudging that kind of happens when you do it with traditional film. Um, mm -hmm. So if you pause an, a regular movie, you'll see that like there's a lot of frames where everything looks just completely smeared, mm -hmm. and you don't really know what's going on. That's because it's trying to they're trying to uh, sorry, reconstruct the way your eye would see in real life, because your eye won't be able to properly capture everything in perfect, like you know, crisp frame by frame by frame. Um, the human eye works in terms of it, it blends it all together and it gives you like this idea of motion. So because this film didn't do that, it had to do so many things uh, to compensate because blur is such an important part of how we perceive any kind of visual media. So 
if you take it away, you have to put in a whole bunch of things to compensate so that it still looks good. Because if you just did this in any other film and you took away the blur, it looks extremely strange and things start to begin to look a little um, sometimes like out of proportions. Things might look a little too big, look a little too small, and it looks, just looks odd overall. If you go to the next frame, this will be an another example of this type of um, blurring that they do. But instead of just blurring with chromatic aberration, you see on the left side here, this is the this is the image that ended up in the uh, in the film, and on mm. the right side is the original like pre post production image of the three D scene. So in in the left image, there's there's a subway train and what looks like a filter overlaid on top of it. Yeah, so this is a combination. Um, it's gonna part of it is the chromatic aberration that we just talked about, and then another is something called like a halftone. It it resembles the if you ever looked at newsprint, the way that they print the like the images, it has like oh, these okay. little raised bumps because they do dot dot inking, and gotcha. so. It's just trying to get the aesthetic feel of a comic book. But what they do is that what uh, regular depth of field does is, is essentially blurs things in the background, making it making all the shapes simpler and so and making things a bit harder to see. And so what this film does is that it decides to just stylize things in the background instead and, ah. and manually simplify those shapes, right, to, to, to use in tandem with the fact that they don't actually have blur on. Right. Gotcha. So while you, because they took blur out, they had to replace it with these other techniques. But because they are specific about the techniques they replace, they use it to like stylize things to make it feel like a comic book or to what like to other um, storytelling effects. We'll get a bit more into it with the other examples. If you go to the next frame. A I'll cool this question is, before we move over, because I'm actually yeah. curious about this uh, yeah. in this right photo here. Mm hmm. Um, with the train without the filter on top of it, is that is is that a photograph or is that an actual painting? So that's a that that's, that's a three D model. Um, with although the textures that they use, sometimes they use photo textures because there's there's a lot of materials here that are rendered like realistically, like the metal hmm. is, is rendered real realistically. Um, yeah, there's a bit of an example later on, but because like if you look inside the the train's uh, interior you'll notice that it's a it's a very simplified almost just a like a 2d drawing like they do mm. this all the time they don't actually need to fill the depth because they know the background is going to be so far away they don't have to model in depth this train and so the i guess you can call them developers or animators uh, the team that worked on this they talked a lot about this because on one hand a lot of people praise them for how ingenious this idea was but they also said because it was it was a lot of a it was much more of a like a logistics thing because it saved them so much work in terms of having to actually model things or detail things in the background mm -hmm. yeah yeah anyways um so the this is the same shot um it's a it's a little darker on the left side because they're trying to this particular screenshot's highlighting miles on the right there but essentially what they do is that they use it to make the audience focus exactly where they want them to focus, even though the scene is quite busy or they need to showcase a very um, messy environment. They they use it as a tool to direct the audience's eye specifically to where they, the story really should be. So all the sharpness will usually revolve around our characters, especially our foreground characters. Mm hmm. 
So um, this is like a panning shot. This is just they're... a yeah. This is a this is a, just a I'm just call it like a wide angle shot. I love the composition of this because in this part of the story, um, Miles is just I believe he just found out or uh, Peter just died. I could be wrong in the exact timing. So he's feeling like small and kind of insignificant. So they have him off in the side of the frame because he's not a major player in the story just yet. Hmm. Um, yeah. So another thing that this film d did, so this style that they had, the reason that they um, wanted to go with uh, this particular style is because they wanted to infuse as much of the energy of the comic books as much as possible. And I've heard the animators use this phrase. They just, they wanted to have it be more about taste over, uh, over reality or realism. So the idea is that while the computers can render much more accurate and realistic depictions, humans have better taste on how things should look and, mm. and, and, and how things should feel and, the and have uh, control over the style. So when they were making these decisions uh, for the art style, but as well as the storytelling, they always, they always emphasize the taste side of it over whether it was realistic or not. You can kind of see it, and there's like a bunch of parts that I always kind of picked at that, that I was thought was funny. And one was that like Miles walks up walls, but he has full runners on, and <laughs> like how do you how do you <laughs> like does the, the the feet feather the feet little hairs go through the shoes or something? How yeah. is he sticking on there? The but you know spikes. they don't they don't care. You know it's just it's more about the taste and and having him have his sneakers as a part of his style, and so they would rather make that decision instead. Um, yeah. So. In addition to one thing that it's going to be a common theme about this movie and this production that I found so impressive is that they would have these technical challenges to that to overcome, but in overcoming it, they managed to add like a, a unique. They they managed to take something that would be a problem, but also turn it into 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 what was essentially a strength for the film. And another mm. one is because they're they were doing this kind of comic book styled and having this halftone overlay for you know shadows and stuff like that, they were mm. able to splice in these kind of shots. If you go to the the next shot here, they were able to splice in direct like two D comic book drawings into their movies, and you'll probably remember no. they had so really? many of these shots. Yeah, like these are like you know if you remember that that scene in Fight Club where he talks about he splices in like clips and no one really notices. Yeah, this is kind of the exact scene that they have it to have. So there's all these action shots with this is from directly from the movie, and this is just like uh -huh. this is just a frame that's shown for maybe a frame or two during the actual. You're kidding? Movie. Yeah, just like half a second, and wow, you don't even notice because he's. It's it's supposed to be a part of the action. And there's tons of examples of this kind of uh, kind of splicing in here, and it feels so natural though because your eye has been looking at these half tones and shapes all the time. Like if you look at the bottom image and you see these horizontal lines that they're using for shading. Yeah. If you in other images of the environment, they just have those horizontal lines painted on manually to 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 shade or to make like a, a, a tree might cast that kind of shade anyways. So mm. your eye is so used to seeing these lines. And I think it, it just makes it so natural in terms of when they cut to these images that you don't, you don't even, re you don't even recognize something's off. It just looks like it's actually in place because they're the shapes and the artistic language they were using is consistent in, in both in actually in both frames, but you notice more of the 3d in the main rendering style of the movie.
so how does that how does that help with the image then if you if you don't even recognize what you have seen it adds it it, it adds the action part of it you feel it mm. though it's the mm. same kind of thing that uh you know it, doing something just for i think that's one of the greatest parts of this movie is that a huge component of animation is all about building up to like a certain moment or like a certain pose for example animators often talk about key keyframe or key poses right because they mm -hmm. know that in when you're making an animation feel good rather than feel realistic it's very important for them to hit these like little moments and the, and you can see them in the film because they 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 put so much effort into something that only exists for a few frames and so this is one of those examples if you go to the next one this is another example because you see the lines that are drawn not just on Gwen's uh, kicking motion here but also on the the motion lines that are on her feet like these subtly like if you were just to watch this without them it'll mm. still feel good but because it's a frame by frame shot like in terms of um their movement they're snapping from frame to frame if you don't have these lines in a comic it would never work because it would just look like they were maybe falling or or just standing there but if you add those lines it adds to that one second read in a comic or mm -hmm. like for example in this moment the the kicking moment because this this frame exists for, ex actually for just one frame but every frame in this like kicking part here you could freeze and they'll have these like m these exact little 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 lines here like a little line mm. for when she got smacked a little line for how her arm is moving and it all adds together for when you actually see the punch it feels so comic booky somehow and mm. it has so much more motion and that's what the that's what was so impressive about this movie was that they they really knew that you didn't not just that you didn't have to have a high level of value of production in throughout your entire movie but there are key moments where you have to spend a lot of resources even though it's only a few frames you know like mm -hmm. there's always if you if you look at a lot of kind of like lower level tv animation and especially if you know anyone in, in tv animation sometimes the shows it's all about like like how much it costs and how much like you, you we can't have too many characters because it's going to take too many hours to animate all these characters blah 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 etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and you yeah. feel you really feel that in this story and you really feel that in in why and why it makes that like a lower class or a lower tier animation is because they're constantly trying to work through this budget whereas in spider-verse even though like it looks like a massive production if you break things down and you look at how they do everything everything was very like cheap in terms of they spent all the resources exactly where they really needed to 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 get the most of it out of everything um very cool very yeah cool. yeah uh if you go to the next frame i just want to take a look because i can't remember yeah this is just another example you see the little uh lines coming out of peter's head um for the, yeah, the spider spidey, sense spider sense like you can't really do that in another movie and have it feel natural like you can't you can't, you can't really imagine a pixar movie like you're watching toy story and then they have these kind of like little effects come up you know mm -hmm. it feels like it's so out of place but this movie blends it into all of its regular effects like maybe someone's gonna get like a a, a bomb explodes they're actually gonna if you pause the moment when like an explosion happens they're hand-drawn effects, hand-drawn 2D effects on mm. per frame. So that was another thing is that almost they had so many hand-drawn effects over every frame 
that if you went through this movie and paused, you, I think they 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 talked about this in one of their um their animation interviews. Is that every every frame had hand drawn animation on it, or hand drawn effects, or hand drawn shading on it, every single frame. So it's 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 it was re- just really really impressive to me. So it's only is the only three D part of the movie the actual characters, and then everything is drawn on top. There is a blend, and they do the blend a lot. I get in, I'm gonna get into a little bit later in it about. Um, some of the effects they do for per character, but for example, um, both Penny and Peter Porker are actually two D, purely. Oh, what? Yeah, two D purely. <laughs> cool. With Penny, um, I I don't know if Penny they knew some sort of um, flattening rig technique, um, and it's actually a three D model, but then it renders like it's a two D uh, effect, like it's because she looks kind of like a South Park character, like a paper cutout. Mm. Kind of mm. effect, right? Is that what a flattening rig is? Well, there the the rigs in animation, especially for two D, have gotten so advanced. So before they, you would have these IK rigs that were more like uh, if you if you imagine sticks of paper, and then you put pins in them, and they kind of like rotate around them, right? Okay, the, was that like rotoscoping? Not rotoscoping is a different thing. It, it's a uh, it's like the idea of masking, but this is more like having uh, basic puppets, right? That but are okay. just two D cutouts like very much like south park if you imagine how you animate in south park and then the newer animation techniques they actually are 3d characters that allow you to do complex things like you know having a turning character is really difficult in a 2d rig because you have to you know the rig isn't designed to draw the body at different angles but Mm. having a 3d rig that is translated into 2d you can actually rotate it and then the software should properly flatten that rig for you to keep that effect you know, so you don't okay. have to draw, like, say, example, my hand. If I, I'm, I'm rotating it like this, there's so many different angles that you would have to draw in a 2D rig. But in a 3D mm-hmm. rig, because the hand's already modeled, all these angles are actually already calculated, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So then they just take those 3D points and compress them down to a single plane? Or they do a rendering or shader that accounts for it. Like, if this is something that Borderland does. They have a lot of effects that are designed around 3D models, but the end result is actually a 2D line, like a stroke or something like that. In Borderlands, you said? Yeah, in Borderlands. So Borderlands is a very similar... They use a lot of very similar techniques, but they... Actually, actually they use a lot of similar techniques. You would almost say that Borderlands pioneered a few techniques, or at least the ideas, because they, they, be, they obviously came up before this movie, and then that was the first kind of... One of the earliest forays into attempting to try to make animation but in 3d because that was Mm -hmm. always a big hurdle we have a lot more examples now especially with this film this being the high watermark of having 3d but also get taking the strengths of a 2d um animation right Mm -hmm. um because the the problem of this movie was all in 2d and all of it was done by hand is that it would cost like an unfathomable amount of animation hours and you Mm. see this actually in japan because they're mm-hmm. they're starting to turn out a lot of more 3D effects because before there there was just like like slave houses of animators that that yeah. had to like hand animate so many things and Studio Ghibli's of Japan Studio Ghibli of Japan's but like before the innovations like all animation had to be this way so even cheap level animations which you know had a trade off because on the one hand they were beautiful they had so many amazing animations. But they also, man, there's so many people that had to work on them that, you know, certain projects were just unfathomable because they would take too much, too many man hours. Mm-hmm. 
even Studio Ghibli, like the one of the things that's so so impressive about them is that they are able to keep that old school style at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and still have this. Well, they also take seven years to make a film. <laughs> yeah, they take forever to make a film. Exactly. It's a very like tra- <laughs> classic and traditional uh, art house. Um, if the next slide is another example of, of a very similar thing. Um, so if you see the outline on um, Miles here on his feet. It's essentially that mm-hmm. they're 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 doing they're using the same techniques that they did on um, with the uh, the chromatic aberration for the background, but because they apply it, they can because they apply it in the background, they can now just use that technique everywhere, and it just kind of feels normal in this scene. Like mm. this is in this this is in the very end when she's in the reactor. And we probably should have mm-hmm. said this is a spoiler warning, but it's a, the movie's been out for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, so if, <laughs> if you don't know, he fights the kingpin at some point. He got point. this far and didn't <laughs> realize it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, okay, so the next the next thing I want to talk about is, uh, I talked about it a bit, but it's the halftone shading that we had. Um, if you go to the next frame, this is a frame from Wally. And th- I picked mm-hmm. this frame because it's just an atmospheric frame, and I wanted to see you to see the difference in terms of how atmosphere and mood is rendered in a classical 3d animation style and then Mm. if you go to the next frame you see this is much more of what they did they if you look closely Mm -hmm. at the shadows um they're actually just a bunch of half tones cross hashing everywhere and and just think about this okay so let's say that um these two shots accomplish the same mood you know like they're both able to show atmosphere show kind of um which is which historically in 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 movies and video games has been something hard to do it was one of the first kind of like technical feats people had to kind of achieve in 3d because um proper fog and atmosphere was actually kind of like hard to render if you just look at old reboot like reboot had no atmosphere like at whatsoever you could see into the distance forever right Mm -hmm. so if these both of these screens accomplish the same thing but spider-verse does it for an unfathomable amount cheaper because all they're doing here is flat 3d rendering right and mm-hmm. then they have 2d panels or hand-drawn um like uh, people doing hand-drawn uh shadows over, over top of it whereas in wally if you just go back to that previous uh slide for a second just imagine how much work it was to model everything in this scene and then to texture it and then to make it all mm-hmm. those textures realistically that actually has such a high amount of overhead that only a studio like 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 Pixar could handle it. Whereas if you go mm. to a, uh, if you go to the next frame where we were just at, this was done on their end because they didn't have enough manpower to make this movie, and they had to the kind of quote unquote cheat out. But they found a way that accomplishes almost even better because now it's a part of this unique style that they're creating. But it's mm-hmm. so much faster, and it also allows them to iterate. Like they are able to make these animations shorts. And, and clip them together with rough effects and to get the feel really early on, super cheap, rather than Pixar, who has an entire render farm dedicated to rendering out daily so they know, you know, uh, Wally looks good here or the effect good, looks good there. Oftentimes, especially if you look at like um, big movie productions, big 3D movie productions, you won't see the entire thing put together until like three quarters into the project where finally the effects get to put in and the and the cloth sim gets to put in and the hair sim gets to put in. there's so many players that go into there that and then what if you get it wrong what if you get that sequence and it doesn't feel right how long does it take to kind of fix that mm-hmm. just the iteration over it alone yeah 
Um, so that's one of the techniques that they did, um, the halftone shading. And then the another thing that this is something that's actually <laughs> kind of been, it's kind of obvious, but a lot of people already, not obvious, but a lot of people have talked about it already. It's the fact that this movie is animated on ones and twos. Have you heard of this kind of concept before? No. So um, if you go through the movie frame by frame, you'll notice mm. that certain things move every frame and certain mm-hmm. characters and things move every other frame. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Right. Now, 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 now I know what exactly. you Exactly. So ones are every frame, twos are every other frame. And mm. if you watch a movie that's it, – it, it, there's been a debate in, in terms of what's better or what's the right thing to do. But um, films that are in ones – feel smoother but films that are like animations that are done in twos the action feels more crisp and it feels like mm. and, and and if you watch this movie you'll notice that not everything like you feel some characters kind of like blip almost like they're you're watching an animation even though they're 3d characters but because they're popping in uh in twos instead it it makes their movements feel like uh, you're actually you're, the way that your eye would see someone that's moving really fast. You would you would lose them for a second, and then you would catch them again in these moments. And that's what animating on twos allows you to to kind of mimic, right? Mm. And so this movie, they found a way to do both at the same time, mm. which sounds like it wouldn't be that hard. But when you're talking about things on a large production like this. It becomes really difficult because you have two pipelines now. Mm-hmm. Like, do you? And 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 I'll tell you one area that's particularly difficult is if you imagine physics sims because they use physics sims here a lot. If one physics sim you don't simulate what happens and every every frame, like how do you match two things that you have that only one thing only moves in every other frame, and another thing moves every frame, <laughs> right? And yeah. so they actually showed this example of like like say there's a cloth on top of a ball. And then one ball is moving up on twos and one ball is moving up on ones. And then the obviously the ones on ones looks smoother and looks like it works properly. But on twos, because it's kind of popping, the sims think that it's actually like accelerating and then mm-hmm. moving the, the cloth upwards so it gets all jank. Mm-hmm. So they had a, an entire pipeline that would automatically convert and uh, convert all their rigs so that their sims could... Um, it, it, it would essentially find the in-betweens that on the for the frames that should have been there so if he moves from here on frame one and then goes to here on frame three they sit the, the rig auto builds where it should have been on frame two just for the simulations that they use on ropes and cloth and everything like that gotcha that's cool. um so another thing that they did if you go to the next frame a part of this process here because they're animating on twos what what you would normally do in a comic book if you wanted to show someone maybe punching someone super fast they would have multiple limbs you know like their arm would be here and then also like over here in yeah. the movie I've they seen jojo yeah exactly right <laughs> like you know you see the chun li kick in street fighter it's exactly the yeah. same thing right but you know because they're animating on twos they wanted to get that effect and they would actually have the rigs like i showed you here with multiple hands because they would hack. This is a direct screen in from the movie. If you pause, you'll see this exact yeah, frame. And they didn't give crazy. a care. They didn't care at all because you know this is the same thing. They it's like miles with for, like two hands. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's taste over over reality because the taste of it is that when you see this on in action and you don't freeze it, it feels like you you know he went from one action to another action to another action even though you don't see that right. You see his hands mm-hmm. kind of clipping etc cetera, etc. Cetera. 
Um, and so this, so this is another example of them taking something that is uh, a technical challenge to them, animating on ones and twos, and then exploiting that technology that they like this little like technology strength that they've kind of developed now because they can animate on one and twos now they can take advantage of techniques that you would only do on twos or you would only do on ones in the same movie hmm. um and the most famous example of this and it's been talked about a lot is that there's a scene where spider man is peter parker is teaching miles how to swing for the first time you mm -hmm. might have heard of this at all have you heard of this no this is new to me okay so um if you look at that scene um peter because he's like you know spider-man already he's animated mm -hmm. on ones and he's very smooth and then oh. miles animated on two <laughs> and he's struggling and he's like bouncing around and then there's a moment where they swing together and they actually slowly bring miles on, into the ones and then suddenly they're in sync and they're both animated oh, on the same. and not only do they do the ones and twos but if you look at the particular frames they're offset so like you know Peter might be moving on like 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 this on one 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 one, and then mm. Miles is moving on one point one point two or one point four. He's just like his frames are slightly off, so they're never in sync. And this is something that you know they talked about a lot because it's 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 awesome, and you don't even notice it. But if you watch that part again, you'll you'll definitely pick it up. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next part I'll get into is is we talked about um, the. The technical rigs right so this is another thing that they did with the rigs for like we, we were we were mentioning how people would use 3d rigs to, to go 2d this is the opposite how we use 3d uh, rigs um uh sorry 2d elements but in our 3d rigs um hmm. so go to the the next slide here what you'll notice is oh sorry this this isn't the rest slide but this is just an example of another cheat that they do they have all their rigs are designed to get extremely broken. His arm is so stretched in this one frame, hmm. but this is just for you know stylistic effect. The same thing mm -hmm. with having the extra the extra hands. Anyway, so the next the next uh, one is the one I want to talk about. So here, so one thing that I thought was so cool uh, when I learned about it is um, I want you to just look at the facial lines that are shown up here. Yeah. Um, like his brow and yeah. his mouth. Yeah. So they use a combination of both actual rigs on the model. Go to the next frame for a second. So the the animators had control over these specific um, like wrinkles and stuff. And so this is another thing for, that they did, not just because um, it was a stylistic choice, but they otherwise they would have to actually have that in the geometry or in the normal map that those wrinkles and like how and they would never just look as good as a simple line. That's in the comic book, right? Mm. So mm -hmm. they have the rigs set up for one to have these lines. But the most impressive part to me, um, I wonder, did I have a slide for No, I did. So what they did was that um, they wanted to have a have a program that would automatically create some of these lines on the face. So we they have specific controls here for the eyebrows, but the nose, for example, all that was generated by uh, a combination of pre-drawn images and hmm. machine learning. Really? Yeah. So what they did was they took Miles's face and they took multiple angles, right? And then they had the artist manually draw in where they would draw the lines for the nose. And that's going to change at every angle. Like it, every artist will tell you that like, you know, as soon as it turns one one inch over here, you have to draw a different type of line, right? Okay. So, what they did was they got a hand, they got someone to hand draw it, right? Mm -hmm. And then 
the machine would take these kind of like they would do with blend shapes in other games and they would it would build a profile for miles so that when he's on the screen and it's at this particular angle the the computer thinks it should be this particular line and then and then yeah that's that's already really cool and then on top of that there would be if someone who would manually fix any lines that were off because they would you know it's not perfect but they would sure. use this that information to teach the computer to do that line properly next time. Mm-hmm. So they it's were basic they, machine learning, always iteration, machine. always learning. It's crazy to me that they were using this kind it's of technology. So then, that's awesome. So many of the scenes that they, even though they had all this hand drawn stuff, so many of it was also like generated for them, and then all they did do is just tweak it a little bit. That's yeah, really so cool. That was that was one of the most. Is this is this all stuff they developed specifically for this movie? They yeah. hadn't. It, yeah. Nothing was inherited. Nothing, nothing was, was inherited. already exi- existing. I'll get into this a little bit later, but the project was a was actually kind of crazy. Like I, I when I first saw the movie, and I'm thinking about like what kind of studio would have. Like I would I would think it'd be like a studio like Pixar, like the like a project that where you know they have this idea and they have this major backing and we have like you know, this like massive infrastructure to create the movie. Um, but it was actually a bit like chaotic because they had one art director and then eventually they removed him and then they had another art director. And I think eventually there was three art directors on the project and oh, the geez. teams actually turned over a lot. But what was really, really impressive to me was that it seemed like everyone who took over the project, unlike in Souther, some other projects, they didn't disrespect what the previous person did. Like I've seen so many mm. projects where someone takes over and then they say, we have to do something different because you know, I'm the new guy. Like I know the right thing to do. Like I know the new the boss guy. can never be the same as the old boss. Yeah, exactly. Right. But it seemed to me, I'll get into this a bit later, but every time if you look at what was the original inception of this movie, they kept so many elements to it. Um, yeah, I'll get into it a little bit. I'll, I'll, I just want to move <laughs> on to one more particular technical aspect or two more. If you go to the next okay. slide here, this is just another example of um, their their decisions to go for taste over reality. Um, mm. So this is a this is a kind of a famous shot in the movie, right? This is a mm-hmm. their, this is the non rendered version. So it's the just the Maya file with the three D models that they use with the animations, right? And then the next slide is what the city actually looks like in the Maya, Maya file. It's mm. like a bunch, it's like a giant mess that like is completely impractical of how the city works. And the city Rectangles shot- Rectangles and cylinders, none of them connected to the ground, all just jumbled together yeah. like twigs in a hay bale. At, at random angles, but it's all designed to mimic the New York skyline. Cause you know, Spider-Man's famously from New York. Um, but mm-hmm. even in, in the movie, they would, grossly exaggerate new york buildings all the time like some buildings would be like a hundred feet taller than like any building would normally be but they all used it to kind of just make the feel of the movie feel right right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then the next scene here we talked a little bit before um or the next slide the team this is just like so first off this is a beautiful shot period of um Mm -hmm. of so called like the New York uh, cityscape, but is this is this a painting or are these? This 3D is a models frame. For the cars? This is a this is a painted frame. This is uh, those are three D models from the car, right? This okay. is a combination though, and um, if you we can't quite zoom in, but um, if you 
look at this image, the further away something is, the more 2D it actually is. So the cars okay. in the front are 3D models. The background, if you look at the purplish uh, pink hue background, they're actually mm -hmm. just blobs of paint. Like they're just rectangles and and little like lines here and there. And then yeah. So what what this is just what what I'm just trying to illustrate here is that the art mastery at the high level in terms of the project and 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 art directors um is so strong cuz they know exactly at what point it doesn't matter anymore like if you try to do this but say for example you started to use blobs of shapes but for like the bus on the right or the car on the left like we're all gonna know that it looks this is off and you're trying to like pass off a 2d drawing but they pick the right moment in terms of the distance where it just becomes like it doesn't matter anymore because the human eye wouldn't properly see it anyways and then when it mm -hmm. becomes a blur like that things in the distance just become more of a feeling to you more so than a, a, like a specific shape and so they take great advantage of it and the next slide is another uh, example of this so in this slide, everything here is, is realistically rendered, but except what's in the bus. The bus is a 2D mm -hmm. painting <laughs> of people just standing there. And because they know this is a quick frame, this bus isn't going to, this is, this is, a, this is just like a, maybe a, an action sequence for Spider-Man's running down the middle of the street. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, look at the, like no one would notice, right? Like no one would notice. They saved, I don't know, how many ungodly amounts of hours to, like, not have to have people in that bus. Yeah. And even, like, more suggestions of people. They're all elongated and stuff. Exactly. So one of the, like, if you become an animator or you begin to draw, one of the things you'll realize is that when you copy from just real life, there's something that you realize the pros and masters do is that they add to real life when they're, when mm. they're drawing. If you look at the Disney animations like they have motions they don't people don't move actually like how they do in real life they move exaggeratedly but just mm -hmm. enough for you to get the hint of it and so that's a common theme throughout the decisions that they made in this movie is that the gesture of everything is more important than the actual image or reality of what it is yeah so that's a, that's that's kind of like the last little bit of technical stuff that i wanted to showcase and then I just wanted to get into like I love the characters that they they decided here, um, specifically all five characters was like we talked a bit about the risks that they took in the movie. I'm not sure if this is a bit of a risk because it's obviously like a part of the Spider Verse story and comic book, but they mm -hmm. just did a they just I think it's just hard. Like it would be so hard to do an animation movie where you're doing this kind of experimental art style that never been done before, and then you also have to incorporate essentially three or four more art styles into the same scene um yeah. in the same environment um so i, I want to talk about each, each of the spider men for, <laughs> or, or women spider people right <laughs> first off we have um you know from left to right uh peter porker the 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 looney tune style one the amazing like, spider ham amazing spider ham and they, they talked a lot about in the movie how they wanted to keep like gwen miles and peter b parker from the same type of like reality the laws of physics works in a certain way but peter mm -hmm. porker exists in bugs bunny's universe and so they let him do like ridiculous things in the movie like float <laughs> around and he carries like a giant 
like mallet out of nowhere and yeah <laughs> like an anvil falls in someone like what's going on and but they don't care they're just like okay taste over reality and you know it fits perfectly but one of the things about this character that i love this one okay so they have this moment in the movie and it's one of the most important moments for miles because it's when they tell him that they need to leave him behind because he's not ready to be spider-man yet or he's not spider-man yet he's just like mm-hmm. pretending right now mm-hmm. and uh if you remember like you know every time P- peter porker talks he's, it's a joke right and mm-hmm. then they they give him one of the most poignant and serious lines of the entire movie and mm. and it's when he tells him that like you know the thing about being spider-man is that you can't save everyone right like this massive understanding about like people are gonna die and you know his uncle just died and so like why would you ever decide to give the comic relief character this line like it turns to him and i'm expecting a joke and he gives you this this heartfelt line that works so well like it's Mm. it's just like it's it's a part of what they did was that they they wanted to illustrate that each spider person was the same good person on the inside even though they're so vastly weird and different Right. Mm-hmm. And so they all have mm-hmm. a moment to show the audience why they are like the good Spider-Man, not like a villain in this movie, but like, a, like the hero of the movie in their mm-hmm. own movie. Right. Mm-hmm. So Peter Parker was great. Gwen is awesome. Like one of the best portrayals of just like a female character. I just loved her so much. And she mm-hmm. for and the in terms of like the if you were to rank the spider people in terms of their careers, she's at like her the particular prime compared to all the other Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Like Miles mm-hmm. is just starting off. Peter P. Parker is essentially a has-been Spider-Man that's just struggling to like get his life back together, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's actually in the peak kind of Spider hero the heroic spider ability, zenith. right? Spider Zenith, right? Um, and Penny. Okay, so uh, Penny Parker is is a particular favorite of mine because I. You know, they had their choice of who to pick for the Spider-Verse. If you look at the Spider-Verse comic book, they have mm-hmm. a lot of Spider-Man to, travel, to yeah. pick from. They have a lot, right? And I just, I, I feel like they picked her because, like, to me, it's an acknowledgement of the, the, of what Japanese animation has, like, done to the field. Because, mm-hmm. like, it's undeniable that Japanese animation, manga, whatever you want to call it, has, like, a certain edge and appeal that is just not existent in like Western animations. You don't have like a Dragon Ball Z or like any kind of like crazy hype fantasy stuff in the West, right? They mm-hmm. had, let's be honest, like if you if we were just looking at purely animation, Transformers versus something like from from the East or from from Japan, like the animations mm-hmm. for action was not nearly the same level right the action in japan yeah. was crazy there were there were a lot more duplicate frames in american animation yeah well. exactly There's so many they would like reuse the same explosion over and over mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. and then meanwhile in japan I'm looking at uh, you gi joe gi joe <laughs> i was looking at like um uh well transformers or 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 the old Spider-Man, the one like the. Do you remember the old yes. old Spider-Man? Yes. They had yes. The, the same, one where he had the single swing through the, the same city single, animation. Yeah, the same. <laughs> or like I remember the Rhino had the same run animation that would show every time he'd like come onto screen. Yeah. And then meanwhile, Japan's coming up with Akira, like this this crazy animation that has like the best action and explosion and physics you've ever seen. Okay. So there's a, it was so Penny to me was an acknowledgement of like that kind of art style. And uh, mm-hmm. so her character was kind of basic in terms of they didn't give her a lot of 
moments, but the moments that they gave her were so strong, and they and like it was just enough to to get her character to to work. I want to see more of her. I hope she's in the next one. Um, and they actually gave her a bunch of stuff in the background. So if you go back through this movie for whatever reason and you're freezing, mm-hmm. you should watch every time Penny's in the background because I feel like a lot of people gave her a lot of love because even though she didn't have much lines, they gave her as much love as possible like when she's doing other stuff. So mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there's a scene when, especially when the all the spider people fight all the villains at Aunt May's house, there's a lot of great stuff that she does while everyone else is talking or you're looking at someone else. You should just... Uh, Anyone else watching out there, check out that particular scene. <laughs> and then, uh, okay, Miles, uh, you know, I don't think I really need to explain. The entire movie is about Miles, so he's obviously awesome. But I particularly like Peter B. Parker. Like, he's my favorite Spider-Man in the entire series and the enti- entire Spider-Universe right now. Just, just down on his luck, Spider-Man. I just love that idea. Like, you know, it's, you just don't talk about that in Heroes. Like, you see a little bit just recently in the latest adventure movies with Thor being, like, the kind of has-been hero and exploring that idea of what of what happens when you, when you do the greatest thing of your life and then what happens after that, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I love the idea of exploring a superhero that is, like that has failed at stuff, you know, like that has, yeah. you've done Watch, things that are Watchmen not the greatest. Style. Yeah. Like Watchmen style, but or just, you know, that's, that would, that would be kind of considered a failure, but like you, they, the film showcases how to like a message that's not often talked about is like how to pick yourself up after you missed your mark. You know, it's miles is at the beginning of his story. So like he hasn't done anything wrong. He's young. He has like all this opportunity. You can't fault him for failing. But, you know, Peter B. Parker is at a point where I think a lot of people might get in their lives where they've tried to do something and it hasn't worked out. And you don't see any any recognition from that in the media that you see. It's always like either a hero right away or you're like a villain or whatever right away. I like the acknowledgement of it seems like it, it, it touched on a much more realistic point of life to have Peter B. Parker be like that. And the fact that they showed the good P- Parker was great, too, because it was just... It was just like it makes you so much more real because, you know, you always have an idea of what the greatest person you could be is right in your head. Mm -hmm. And then he Mm -hmm. goes into that universe and he gets to actually see it. And it has to confront like it's it's such a poignant character point for him to be in that universe because it confronts the exact thing that he's been so afraid of the entire life. So that whole character arc is so complete in this movie. And Mm -hmm. I think that he had the best one. He had he had the best line for me when he said miles you know it's just a leap of faith I'm like ah oh, so many great things for him <laughs> and then but he's also he's also like the the the, the spider-man that it's not like he never was a good guy and he no, never no, yeah, did yeah, yeah. amazing things it's, yeah. it's 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 just it was harder he got on him. old right he's yeah. confront he's he's confronting like a middle-aged crisis yeah he he started but to deal with all the middle-aged stuff it, right <laughs> yeah yeah I, that's right yeah you're right like he he was still spider-man but like I would imagine the Spider-Man that died in the film is almost like your typical hero Spider-Man where they've done everything right and they had this great life, but mm-hmm. he represents another side where you've done all, all the things to be good, but the world isn't as kind to you and doesn't reward yeah. you, which, you know, it, it happens. You just made the one mistake that just yeah. happened to be the last one. Yeah, exactly, right? So I loved his character. And then Spider-Noir, I think that's what they call them. Um Spider-Man Noir. Yeah, I just loved it because they they essentially distilled all the different Spider people into their comic versions, and um, Spider Noir was supposed to represent those older comics during you know World War Two and the and the Cold War, where the care like the printing fidelity was quite low on newsprint, 
And so your mm-hmm. characters would have to be often silhouetted completely in black or have really, really simple designs. And so mm. that's what they did to his overall design is because they just simplified it, made a lot of his shapes just black and shadow. And they kept mm-hmm. like his aesthetic for his comic to translate over. And plus he, he was also like super funny. Nick, like I didn't realize it was Nicholas Cage that yeah. played him <laughs> for the longest time. And I was like, Oh, okay. Then that makes sense. This guy's been Nicholas Cage has been in the most variety of movies I've ever, of, like, I think he's become a meme, but if you look at his like acting history, he's been in such a wide variety of films. It's astonishing. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's kind of making a comeback in, in, in really good movies too. Like Mandy. Yeah. And I just watched the color out of space two days ago. And I, it was amazing. I feel like even though his, even the movies that people would say are bad, like you, you've seen them mm-hmm. like, and you know, you, and it's, it's something that's in, like, like face off is the most, one of the most ridiculous movies, but like who hasn't, Seen face off. I, I didn't seen the I re- face. Off. I really, I really like face off. <laughs> it was a great movie. Face off is right? really fun. It's a ridiculous movie, but it's a great movie, right? Yeah. Anyways, um, so I want to talk a little about the Spider Verse people, but now I wanted to to break down a bit about. So I talked a bit about the the original art director moving on to the project. Mm-hmm. Um, his name. If you go to the next um page here, his name oh. is. Maybe you'll help me pronounce it. Al- Alberto Mig Miguel. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. I don't, know if, not, I don't even know if you would know not, how to pronounce that's it. That's not a Brazilian name I'm familiar with. Okay. So anyways, um, him, he, before he started doing the Spider-Verse, he actually worked on the animation Tron movie, which, you know, I actually watched a little bit just for the designs because it was, it was the artwork and the cinematography was actually super strong. Which one for, is this? They made a Tron TV show, like for like a kid's show. Oh, really? Um, like a 3D show. Yeah, so the it, it was in the Tron universe. Um Tron the character was in it. Um but it was it was like a, th- a more stylized 3D Star Wars Rebels kind of look to it. Okay. But you like I looked at it after I saw this movie and I was like, "Oh yeah, like you can already see the, the influence cinematic like expertise that Alberto Miego has." And so he was the art director that put together the pitch for this not the pitch but the initial um animation to prove out the story to get you know to get the project started um and it's available all on his website or if you go to vimeo just type in his name alberto Migo spider-verse mm-hmm. he he talks a bit about uh what happened in terms of you know um him leaving and then he also got permission to release this this little like these four clips of what um they presented to sell this idea of the spider-verse because imagine trying to pitch spider-verse like before anyone's seen what it is like mm-hmm. how how do you kind of tell that you want to do this like frisky animation style that no one's seen before i highly recommend watching these four clips like th- it's one of the most beautiful sequences i've ever seen mm-hmm. and we talked about how to like how this movie boils down complex um visuals but makes it done cheaply and effectively Essentially, what this entire all these sequences are are a bunch of hand drawn sketches overlaid onto very simple Maya geot geometry using mm. camera pans in Maya. Mm. So, like they'll they'll take a building and he'll just draw like you can see in one of the screens there little lines to represent the building, mm-hmm. and then they would overlay it with music, and like and 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 like just like super strong animation like drawings that you see there, and it sets up the entire movie like if you look at these clips 
they are the most important parts, the best parts of the movie. Like the clip that you're seeing in this little uh, image here, it's uh, this this is before the script was essentially locked down. We knew what the characters were going to be and et cetera, et cetera. So all it is is that they knew that they wanted to be in Miles Morales' universe. In this universe, Peter Parker has died. So it's just a little clip of him taking on the mantle. And mm -hmm. they have Miles' um, uh, montage moment, that famous, you know, what's up danger moment where he jumps off the building for the first time, mm -hmm. right, and has the suit on. That whole sequence is in this, these little drawings that are, are in here. And if you watch this, it's like, not only did they, they keep this original feel of the shot, but they, everything that they added didn't take away from it. It mm -hmm. added so much more and more. So if you go to the next frame, for example, this is a shot directly from the animatic that I'm talking about here, mm -hmm. right? And you can see, you can even see here, they're starting to use some of the effects we're talking about, like blurring where, you know, you want to blur just so that you get motion mm -hmm. and then keeping one character in focus. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the next frame here. This is a shot that they used in the final movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. Like they kept so much of it. And so the next few frames are just more and more examples of where this happens. So go to the next one, for example. This is a direct frame. Here, this is Spider-Man in, in the same moment. Too. This is the mo montage for the animatic. This is the montage that happens way later in the film. Yeah. And so, but if you watch it, the music is different. And it has such a different feel. Like, it's, I, I would be very interested if there was a movie with this kind of original feel, too. Mm -hmm. um, you can see what Alberto Miego create started with. It has a very super unique, like, like if you watch the sequence, you won't, you won't see this kind of this kind of like style with the music anywhere else, and I understand what they added into the final movie. When you watch it, you'll notice a difference, and the difference is that they added the Marvel side of it, the popular side of it, like the more mainstream elements of it. But they were able to keep the the core raw goodness, and that's what actually shows up through the film. If you go to the next slide here again, it's just another slide right after that. And then go to the next one for a second here. Like this is that like super, super important moment um, where yeah. Miles is about to jump off. Yeah, I've heard that's and, a somersault. Yeah, and um, the the film that that's in the animation has a, a bit more of a gritty sense to it. Go to the next frame for a second here. Like they cut in here to him remembering how Peter died. And so in this universe, Peter, Peter dies to that blast, but he has this much more visceral, like quick second burst where, you know, the, showing Peter Parker like flesh like blowing off that's pretty oh, hardcore for Marvel right <laughs> yeah. so most likely not going to happen that's why I would love to have seen this version of though it's so much more gritty but um, it has that difference in it but then if you go to the next slide here again like the next few frames the in my opinion which is some of the most impressive and beautiful frames in the entire film were in the film the very moment of its conception these next two slides that are that are in here, the hand breaking off here, the mm -hmm. super backwards summer. This shot, the environment upside down, is just so stunning here. Yeah, it looks and like even that, flipped it 180 degrees upside down. So that, yeah, so this is this is another. The, you see, that's the original idea, and then the final implementation is even better. Yeah, like they found a better camera angle that exaggerates the environment even more. It's so much more extreme, but they have it's the same 
it's the same concept, but it doesn't work worse. You know, there's so many times where I see like you have this strong creative idea, let's say like Star Wars, for example, this great base, and you just see it diluted by like they wanted to do this, but every time they did this, they 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 lost a little bit of what was the original like element. That's what so blows my mind about this project is that despite having so many people jump on top of it, everyone seemed to be respectful enough to respect that the what they already have was so strong and they didn't remove that. They could have easily like taken this shot and tried to do something else with it, but they recognized this is a credit to both the people who came after them, but also to Alberto Mego mm-hmm. that what he created was so goddamn strong already that they just needed to find a way to uh, render it and capture it. So how come he left the project then? So I believe he talks about it. I, I, I don't want to say for him, but based on my understanding of his uh, statement, it was essentially that, you know, Marvel wanted to make a Marvel movie or like uh, the production studios and Sony, not Marvel, sorry, Sony, because Sony is the one that created it, wanted to make a movie that was a bit more, marvel and a bit more pg and if you watch the animatic it's not like they're 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 gross or anything like that but it was clearly a an even an even further pushed version of this movie where mm. we showed a few freeze frames of when they drew in um kind of some color sorry sorry some like actual comic frames and they split it in there in his version i actually think it was great but probably just a little too Um, outside the box for like a large studio to be able to invest into is that like he would go super heavy into the whole comic book frame thing some of the best sequences that is used in the movie for example when they you know each spider person has that this is my story kind of moment and Mm -hmm, they're like mm -hmm, i'm gwen etc etc and they go into that comic book kind of uh, montage Yeah. yeah If you watch the animatic, that's all in there. And it's like the first time that you would ever see it so naturally cut together. And so they use the exact types of uh, framing that they did in the animatic that they did in the final movie. There's like a shot with like Gwen running and it has like a vertical frame split. And then um, even in this scene here, when Miles jumps off, there's a there's a seat part where he's falling and then it cuts to multiple vertical frames of him falling at the same time to get that kind of like mm-hmm. feeling of him going do 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 like falling further and further and further. That was all in the original animatic too. Very cool. So like it set the the groundwork for so much of what ended up being in the film. And uh, I I looked up this uh all this up when I was doing my own kind of like study on this kind of art direction art style because I was so impressed by how they were able to combine realistic 3d rendering techniques and textures but then they found a way to like overlay this 2d style like it it just makes so much sense for me as an artist i'm like man that's crazy because it's it also makes it easier to paint really complicated scenes if you like find a way to steal some of these techniques and like harness it yourself so i did a bit of analysis and i came up with this uh came up to alberto mego here and man like it just it, it blew my mind uh in terms of like how good this original and it's it's just a few lines like the entire thing is like you think that you could do it yourself obviously you couldn't because it's like so much more complicated (laughs) than that but like the simplicity of it you can see where like you can go into this meeting and be like hey look at what i did with just me and maybe a couple of other guys that are techs here like imagine the story that we can get if we can use this system and iterate like like i think that's the key is like 
it showcased how fast you can iterate an idea. If you can crank this out, this level of quality of, of animation with just like a few markers and stuff like that, it showcased like, okay, then, you know, when they go into the actual movie sequence or a production, because every movie production is goes through the same kinds of cycles. You start rendering the story, you know, and then that, that render or that scene goes through review processes where they talk about, you know, are the characters moving properly? Are the characters lit properly? Does everything look right? Does everything feel right? And a good studio, like, you know, a high class um, animation studio like Pixar or something, will go through a lot of iterations where they'll send it back. And then, you know, we got to change this. And you don't know the results of your changes until you get it through that pipeline again. And just like in a video game, if your pipeline is super clean, and fast and you can see your your gameplay changes as as like the way they see their animation changes quickly it's much faster to make like fixes mm -hmm. and so for them they were able to probably preview their entire movie so early on in this simplified style and they can start making the fixes while it was all cheap to do before they spent all their resources to build the models blah 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 because in a regular production you might have someone that outsources all the buildings here for example but because they knew that all these shots, the buildings weren't like super close up, you can get away with hacking a bunch of less lower textures and, and animation cheats that would still make it look good, if not better, mm -hmm. that you don't have to animate it. You don't have to like, spend all the resources over there. So it was just one, one of the greatest examples of like, I bet you like there's so much, the efficiency of the dollars that go onto the screen is so high in this project. And it, it was made here in Vancouver. Yeah. And so it was very efficient because they don't pay animators all that much. Well, it's just we, we, we don't have a massive like we don't have a Pixar level animation like background here. Yeah. But this movie to me to me is actually the best animated movie out there, at least right now that I've seen. I can like, def I can definitely agree with you on that on that. Right. Barring something from like Studio Ghibli. Right. Or yeah. Like, some, yeah, like they, something they, that they, they spent seven years on. Right. If anything, it's arguable. And then you look at all the other studios that they're competing against, and you're like, man, it's they definitely have something special here if you can come up with, like, you know, like it, out of nowhere, this first It's project. so distinct, right? And, yeah, and not have, so like you said, not having a basis on everything, so much of it fell in this vision that you just don't see any other movie even attempting to get even yeah. close to this. You look at a DreamWorks movie, you look at a Pixar movie, and they sort of go for the same style. Sort of the, the characters mm -hmm. might look a little different, but yeah, at least to me, you know, my untrained, unartist eye, it, it's sort of that same. Oh, it's a three D animated film. Yeah. Whereas this came out, and I was like, "Is this two D? Is this three D?" It, it turns out to be, as you explained, a blend of everything that is wholly its own. Yeah. And yeah. I think How, what's Pixar, the state of the studio right now? Do they have another project in the works? It's it's yeah. It's Spider Verse Two has already been announced a while ago, and I okay. think they might have a, a they might have a, a year release date already. I don't know if they have an exact like month release date, and I know that the people are already working on it here in Vancouver. Um, to your point about Pixar, I think that when Pixar first came out with some of their like really big hitters, like you know Finding Nemo and stuff. Like there were, that was when it was very unique. But then now that they've had a longer period of time to release more movies, we people can see that now they're the the routine in the type of storytelling in movies mm -hmm. are right now. Like, and it's not bad. It was innovative for a time, um, but you can tell they're 
it's not that they're worried about making risks, but they they want it, they have a particular flavor that they like to stick to. And what I loved about this movie, like not just like the like I like before Black Panther, like the music in this movie is so goddamn good and it's so unconventional in terms of what movie music they picked in this movie like you know you, i wouldn't you wouldn't expect uh, there to be that much hip hop in a in a marvel style movie before black mm-hmm. panther right mm-hmm. you know so um yeah it's that was another thing i didn't even get a chance to talk about but the soundtrack is complete fire like holy jeez mm-hmm. so the the ability that that they didn't use a regular marvel soundtrack during miles's montage like that like montage. a cinematic sweeping score like the yeah. avengers yeah yeah they had they even still they had they had they put it in a little bit in there you can hear it that they like kind of have it in the background build up but then they have that what's up danger this song that is actually like probably not if you, if you just put the song on i'm pretty sure that they played so many songs that they had to change the actual words hmm. for example the song that he loves that um what's that song that he was uh sunflower mm-hmm. that song i'm talking about right uh it has they changed his lyrics so in the in the in the movie he says the wrong lyrics by accident oh but the real lyrics is like talking about picking up like prostitutes or something like that. oh <laughs> yeah because <laughs> you know it's a hip-hop movie or it's a hip-hop song right like obviously that's like if he was a real kid he would be listening to that kind of music mm-hmm. for sure right so mm-hmm. but you know they did their yeah, a little bit of creative license not, not disneyfying but like you know like making it softer so that young audiences can can watch it which i i completely i completely understand right mm-hmm. um so yeah that was pretty much it for me i i freaking love this movie so much it taught me so much about art and animation and it's kind of i can see the ins- you can already see the inspiration it's it's a it was if you follow art in terms of like like I follow a lot of artists and concept artists. You can already see that, that there's like a point in time before this movie. And there's a point in time after this movie, where mm. there's a certain style that's constantly out there. Now, now everybody is incorporating halftones into 3d character models. Everybody like all art style. And that like, you know, everyone's obviously looked at this film and, and realized that it's a super strong point. Sort so, of the Borderlands effect where after 2006, everybody wanted to do yeah, that sort of like half yeah. cell shaded, half yeah. textured assets. Yeah. yeah. Like they're going to, they're going to try the, the, the impressive thing for this movie was just that they not like, you can't point to one thing that they did super well that made the movie because they executed so well on so many different elements. Even if you're just like a, a casual movie fan, like, like when, when have you ever seen such a succinct, story um that's a retelling of a story that i was honestly bored of hearing i didn't want to hear more about spider-man's uncle but ben dying or like you know etc 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 yeah same thing with batman but they retold this story but they had like multiple character arcs that were super super strong they picked a bunch of like uh music choices that were super rare all in the background of doing the super crazy art style and all executed to probably the best in the genre arguably at least right mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I, man, I was just so impressed by this goddamn movie <laughs> yeah i can tell how do you think this is going to influence then then movies coming up do you know oh, of any I, projects that, that that are following this sort of because it's you, saving them um, a lot of money then what's the argument then for them to 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 do something more typical like you look at the budgets on pixar and dreamworks movies and they're through the mm-hmm. roof mm-hmm. timelines well, as well I, I bet you people will follow it, but I think that 
part of the movie's art st- art style and and style as a general is like it's one of those things that you need a master to really wield it properly mm-hmm. you know like i think that there's a lot of things that people could copy and they'll grab p- bits and pieces of it but you know we talked about that little example of the half toning and then using all those uh, weaknesses in your project, but building tools to overcome them and then essentially make them the unique attributes of them. That's something that like, it's not about whether you do this art style or another style. It's whether your team and the person who's directing it has the, you know, creative capacity and problem store problem solving ability to be able to do that in a project. Because it's not just about doing a style. It's being, if you looked at the project, it's essentially an evolution of like them fixing something or figuring something out and then moving after that with all their tools and seeing what the next thing that they can do is or build upon the last thing. And there are so many steps that could only happen because the previous steps already happened. So they, they didn't like plan it. They, they were often looking at the tools that they had and then using them and then building new tools that would utilize those tools. Um, so you could say that, you know, people will take a lot of, uh, it's like, you know, you, you look at any successful, uh, sports teams, right? People are just going to be analyzing like the individual talent, but the organization that put them together and the training and the teamwork and the background, all that stuff is arguably even more important than maybe like, you know, if, uh, Michael Jordan jumps, does a jump shot with his left hand or right hand Mm -hmm. and rolls his wrist a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I actually have seen some films begin to take this, uh, influence from it. If you look at on Netflix, there is, um, a a series that's become really popular for good reason. I think it's called love, death and robots. Yep. It's a series of different animations and you can see a number of effects that are in there, including the animation on ones and twos in certain ones. Mm. And that was something that I saw. I was like, okay, yeah, that's, there's a particular uh, episode where there's like a bunch of farmers and Gundams. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yes. Yes. I think, I think, yeah, I know. Right. yeah. So um, I think I, if I remember correctly, they, they do a bunch of animations on twos stuff on, on, in that one mm. that I was like, Oh, giving I it more of an one. anime look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that was also like on another, like, a, gr- a really cool that's pretty quick to soon stuff. after it too it was pretty quick soon but i think what happened was that um there's probably a bit of an art movement on the back side uh, like uh, amongst artists from different countries and then i think that some of these top tier artists like alberto mego etc are honed into it before we are mm-hmm. and so alberto might be or like this movie might be the first to exhibit some of this information but i guarantee you if i was like the art director working on it like it, it, this would be quite like gossip heavy that you would talk to your other artist friends about and you know amongst the community everyone wants to share what they're working on mm-hmm. when they can even well, also you know, alberto has yeah. left as well right yeah exactly and, right and, so, so he left and so, so then the other three directors that came on and they helped push push the studio through that's at least four or four people that have yeah. this sort of experience under the belt yeah, I, I, it might have been two. I don't know the exact numbers, but yeah, there was, a, I think, at least two other directors after Alberto. So three, at least three, I think. And so mm. they I, I don't I don't know as much of the story in the background because, you know, it's hard to find out about how things actually work on yeah. in projects. Yeah. Um, but I, I must have it feels like all of them added something because like when you look at the footages after that 
that they you know they because they post all their artwork now because it's out for a while and you can buy the art book like there's an evolution in terms of what they've added to each part of the movie if you look at alberto's animations at the beginning as like the base framework that you have for like a car and then everything else was just added onto that framework um and then then this final comp this final composition that you get in the movie is like this amalgamation of a bunch of people putting their best aspects or best like uh, expertise into it mm-hmm. yeah so i hope I, i'm very excited for the next one man i it, it might be too hard of a high of a bar for it to hit like they're like, gonna make it about, extra marvel now that they're gonna put well, more money into it <laughs> i think no I, it's even more just like me like we talked about it like last week i i like if you have high expectations it ruins a lot of things like you know you it's hard to see a movie for how good it really is if you think it should have been better Hmm. you know like like i don't want to be the shitty parent to movies where i'm like damn like I, you could have been such a better kid right like you're, you're missing out on what you have right there yeah so i i'm trying to figure out how i want to handle or how like handle my expectations for the next one because like this is like i arguably maybe not for everyone but for me this is like the goat right now so like how the I'm, goat I'm, and you, the greatest of all time, gotcha, like the greatest gotcha, animation gotcha, gotcha, so gotcha. far. It's like watching a boxer, and you think he's the best fighter ever, and he just like won the title championship. But it's the the next fight, and I'm like, okay, are they really a champion, or or, or did they get lucky? You know, do they you know, do they just like happen to catch the other opponent on or this movie on a good day or something mm-hmm. like that? So I'm curious to see. I'm curious, but I'm trying to like curb my curb my expectations of it. Do, do we know who's uh who's gonna be? Who's who's leading that movie? Have they changed art directors um, at all? I I do know it's not Alberto Mego. I don't know who the art director is. I have I, I haven't looked it up. I think it might be the same one who ended the project. Um, yeah. But I I don't I don't don't even know the name, so I don't really I'm not really sure. And it's still the Vancouver studio. It is still Vancouver studio. They I'm did, not sure if they they didn't they do a Sonic and something. close down immediately afterwards. Oh no! Oh yeah! Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. No, no, this there's it's a Sony animation studio here. They have they have some other projects that they work on um at, in Vancouver too, so I think they have like a, a steady supply of like work coming in from the States. Did they do the Adams family one as well or is that someone else? I, the, I you know they might have. I I do remember seeing that on because I, I follow some artists on uh that work on the project and they showcase other projects they worked on. You might mm-hmm. be right. I could be I I don't know, I I have to double check that. Some homework. Yeah. So that's it for me in terms of Spider-Verse. All right. Well, yeah. I learned so much in that hour Good. that we spent. Holy crap. I'm glad. You know your <laughs> shit. Very well, nice. you know, it's my job. Yeah. <laughs> like literally It's my only job. your job. <laughs> it's just my job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's take it down a notch. Let's talk about um, some Stone Buddhas. Stone Bu- So, So I know nothing about this game. Um, you had break it down for me what's the what's the elevator like pitch for this for this game so this is a rest of a stone buddha okay this is a game where uh you play as a hitman yeah who's sort of he's been doing this a while and it's just like john woo with everyone and you look at this trailer that i'm showing right now and it's just you walking along single plane people coming on all sides and you shoot them as they come at you, and you might think this is just a this is just a mindless action game, <laughs> can, pretty can simple animation and stuff, right? I it, it reminds me of all the Java those Java games that I used to play. <laughs> exactly, 
Two things that stuck out to me though in this game is how detailed these these pixel backgrounds are. Like the characters are pretty simple. Oh yeah, actually the the backgrounds are quite nice. The yeah. backgrounds are super nice. Yeah. And when it's you hard play to do it, pixel art. And when you play it, you 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 expect there to be a lot of action, and the game is like no. This isn't it's like about a slow that. game. It is incredibly oh, wow. slow. It is lethargic. So you play as this as this hitman. He's not retired. He's active, <laughs> and it's in it's in Paris, right? That's kind of interesting. And yeah. the game comes in two parts. One of them yeah. is is the action part of the game okay. where it's guns yeah. blazing and and it's high frequency. Your heart's beating all the time. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're, you're breaking arms to get guns from people so you can continue shooting because you can't run out of bullets because then people just run up on you and shoot you. You die in one hit. The checkpoints yeah. are not friendly. You can restart big sections and just have to continue <laughs> mowing people down. Right. Um, when was this released? When, when was this released? February 2020. It's pretty new. It's the, Oh, it's a recent. <laughs> it's a recent. Game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the other moments are you sit down and, and you're talking to your handler. And there's a little bit of dialogue that plays, and it's just a little bit. You learn a little bit more about going on his head, and he's just saying like, "Hey, you heard that uh, that Bob died the other day?" And it's like, and the hitman's like, "Who?" And it's like, "You should remember him. He saved your life in the war." And whatever. It's like, time just goes by super fast these days. I don't really remember much about the old times. And it's like, yeah, when's the next hit? When's the next one? And it's like, I'll let you know. And it's like. I need to do something with my time. I need to do something with my time. And he's like, movie just take some sleeping, just take some sleeping pills. Just, just in case it's like, I do take sleeping pills. And then you, oh. and then, and then they say the goodbyes and you get up and you're like, well, I'm going to walk around now. And you just walk huh. around. There's no direction, nothing like time passes by. You press buttons. You can look at your watch. You can this stop by a movie dead theater. space you were talking about, right? Sorry. This is that dead space you were mentioning, right? You were saying yeah. like, there's dead space in the game where it just lets you do whatever you, you want just, for a little bit. It just bit. lets you do that. There's no direction. You can walk yeah. around this highly detailed city block. I wish I took some video of it. It's incredibly detailed. It looks like it, it almost gives me a feel of, like, you know, there's a lot of um, television and media from Japan that shows case slice of life stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like it just shows like a little bit of, uh, you know, shows that are specifically about how people live you know like yeah how they go to the store and deal with people and that's what it gets me the feel of when he's not gunning people down he gets to that little bar is that what it's like yeah it, it feels very much like that you just wander kind of you're looking for something to do you're wondering where your next <laughs> objective is so you wander into a little bar there's no one really around there's a bartender you sit down and you get a few options of like give me something strong that's your only option <laughs> bartender slides something to you you press another button you drink it then you you just kind of sit there, you know. The time slowly passes. Have you, you leave, beaten this? Have you, you beaten around. this game yet? Sorry, have you beaten this game yet? No, uh, it's pretty short. Um, okay. but it's you have to be in the right mind space for it because you gotta be <laughs> ready to just be alone for a while and contemplate your life a little bit because that's what the game is. Wow. It, it is, and it, and then you start understanding, unpacking, like oh. I'm kind of like him in a way is I want to get to the, to the other action beat because that's where the quote unquote game oh, is. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and but the game that's really makes you kind of sit and like wonder, like, why am I just so desperate to go back into the murder part of this game <laughs> when there's this very beautiful city and you can walk around, you can yeah. sit in a cafe and do nothing but check <laughs> your, your, your watch. 
You can go to a clothing store. I went to a clothing store and you can pick out some outfits. You, you can go try on a jacket. Wow. And you're like, hey, that looks very nice on you. Do you want to take it home? And then you can say like, yeah, I'm going to take this one. It doesn't influence anything. There's no point to any of it. You can go watch a movie theater. You go there. You go to the next showing. But when I, I bought the ticket, it seemed like my guy didn't even go to the movie that he was supposed to because the movie was already playing. And the movie ends and everyone leaves. And you can kind of just sit there until they kick you out. That's it's so interesting because then you know someone had to, like, program and animate and set. I'm pretty all sure it's one person. I'm pretty sure it's one person. Yeah. And then we talked about like you know where you put your energy and then to put the energy on something like this. It seems like a project you could only do as one person or like you know as, like someone that would have control over the project because you can't pitch this idea to someone. Yeah. Like hey, how about an action game where you don't do any action for half of it or something, right? Yeah. And, and but I do like that idea. That's kind of interesting that it it kind of plays on the same feeling of like like you emulate with the character but you're also making him do this kind of weird weird action right murdering people in the middle of like emphasizing or like figuring out what his life goals are yeah and that's the part that i'm interested in seeing like where where it takes this because this is and i'm refusing to look anything else up about this game until i see for myself Mm -hmm. i just again Mm -hmm. i have to get in the right headspace for it because this influences what i've always said a lot in that playing games is different than just watching a game right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so much mm-hmm. of this game is you being in the headspace of this character and you as a player also having this communication with the developer where where, where he's telling you uh they are telling you yeah. no just just be patient and wait for the action time this game will come on its own time <laughs> and, just belong to this character for it like give your time over to being this character who's only life is gunning people down when he's called upon. What does he do in his spare time? What meaning does it have? Yeah. I went up onto a rooftop just to watch the day and night cycle go because I had nothing else to do in the game. I had seen like most of the shots. <laughs> I just went and I stood on that rooftop and you can do small little actions with the character, which is fascinating. So yeah. if you press up, he'll turn his head. You press X, he'll turn his back towards the camera. So I did that. And it was that face. He was looking there. I pressed down. So the character would put his hands in his pockets. And I just stood there admiring the day and night cycle of this very nice pixelated Parisian city. It it reminds me of um, sailing in wind waker. Mm. You know, like it's Mm -hmm. like this thing that you're like, why am I doing this? But then when you're doing it, you're like, you have this mood and this atmosphere, like you're actually sailing. You're like, Wow, that's kind of relaxing. <laughs> yeah. But unlike Wind Waker, where getting from point A to point B is the point, mm-hmm. you aren't going from point A to point B in this yeah. game at all. You are literally waiting time to pass so you can reach 6 p.m. So you can take a sleeping pill so you can sleep so that the night progresses faster until you get to a day of an assassination. And then it's when you go, like- it, it all kicks off and you're playing the video game portion of it again. So how does the video game portion feel now that you had to wait? Is there like any difference? I imagine I'd feel like it's gotta it's gotta have some sort of build up anticipation or I would might even it's get frustrated. It's incredibly stressful. It is incredibly stressful. Because yeah. you're still having the same walk walk cycle, right? Right. But people are running across I'll I'll play the video. Oh, right. again. There's no like special running thing there. You're just like walking and then they just 
you have to shoot them before they get yeah. to you. You don't you never run in this game, right? And I think that's where like the, the stone Buddha mm. comes from. It is is this game right. is very deliberate in, in how you spend your time, how you're engaged yeah. in your actions. Everyone runs, you never run. Your character never runs. Yeah. It's all deliberate button presses, but at the same time you're frantically shooting and thinking, Am I gonna be out of bullets? Do I need to break an arm in order to get my bullets back? Get it's, different it's so guns. deceiving like um like pixel art is so deceiving in terms of how hard it is and how and like you feel it's good you feel it's nice but i also feel like a bunch of artists are always like yeah i can do it it's easy <laughs> go try to do it okay the, one of the trickiest things in art that you can do is to take a complex thing and simplify it mm -hmm. like it's so hard and that's it takes so much knowledge right yeah. so that's what that's what all pixel art really is like the good pixel art like you have one pixel to to showcase like it might be a lever or something like that or and for a character it's like a like a nose or an eye you're like you have one pixel to do that like what do you pick right mm -hmm. yeah anyways yeah just a comment about the pixel art it's, a, it's amazing how much they do that with so little like with the button inputs uh for, for example you, you have that animation of of aiming the gun right and the yeah, same button, yeah. you need to press a button to do that in order to aim and then shoot and maneuver. The same mm -hmm. button when you're in the city section and you're you're walking around, he puts his hand in his in his jacket pocket. And you see that small little animation, right? And it's yeah. quick. He just puts his hand in his pocket and like, oh, is he going to pull out a gun? And then you press X and then he just folds his other hand. And then he's just sitting there with his arms <laughs> folded. So instead of shooting, he just folds his arms. It's like almost like the, part of the game is exploring but exploring like what the game wants your, you to do with your character here, like when he's not fighting. Yeah. Whereas so much of other games is like exploring how you fight. And this one's like exploring how does he live? How does he live? <laughs> what goes on in, in, in yeah. his head? And even when you have... Like shooting a, shooting a gun to him is the same as taking a sleeping pill. Like that's how easy it is. Because right. to you, those are the two commands, right? Right. It's yeah. the same inputs for you. Yeah, and that sort of ties like, into to how playing the game is different than just watching it. You don't. Yeah, it, it made such a such a disconnect. It made such a connection to me in, in only having three buttons throughout this entire game. But with those three buttons, I'm sitting in the bar. I'm breaking arms. I'm taking a drink. <laughs> I'm sleeping in a bed. I'm taking sleeping pills. I'm buying sleeping yeah. pills just with three yeah. three buttons. <laughs> and it's. It's, it's how it's, minimal it's... his life is. That that's all there is to it, and he can kill as easy as he can drink at a bar and it's fascinating it's, it's like, to me it's a, it's like a little bit of um i think I, I really think that like games have only really scratched the surface in terms of what i what kind of storytelling a, only a game can do mm -hmm. like let's like if you look at something that only a game can do you you can't really get that wind waker experience like in a movie you know, like mm -hmm. when you because you actually have to do that kind of action, that slower pacing, like there's a that's why I always say that we, we've only scratched sur the surface because we are. I think the problem is like if you imagine um, what was the example I was using here, like it takes so much to get a game done, period, like, you know. Whether every game a is a miracle game or every game is like a it's actually a quite a technical challenge mm -hmm. in terms of a project and you have to do so much right that like it's like saying um you know we you know the the u.s sent a man to the moon 
and you're complaining that like they didn't have like a radio on there or like <laughs> obviously a radio would have been better but you disregard all the work that needed to get to them to that point in the first place mm. and so i think for games because it's so really hard and maybe the industry just isn't quite good enough to make super consistent games that people are too concerned with that process of making a decent game to be able to experiment with a further idea of like how can we play around with the idea of making our players wait something that might be a risk to a project like you couldn't have this kind of project in a triple a game because it's such a high risk that you know what if people don't get this aesthetic and i guarantee you people won't yeah. not everyone will it right so you're already targeting a smaller portion um and we see that in movies too it's just like how do you make a more successful selling movies while you tell these kind of stories mm -hmm. and it's usually left to the indie movies or the smaller productions that have less to risk and gamble but essentially have less fear to experiment and so i wonder if that's where we'll that's why we always see like the most experimentation with gameplay and storytelling in the indie section like you see a lot of that in more indie or smaller like even spec ops the line which is a very high level like production mm -hmm. probably triple a but that's like the only example that i can think of that's really took that gamble on uh, a first person shooter game that's been able to do that first person shooter part as well as like this gamble on a story. I right? mean, my very recent argument would have been The Last of Us Part Two, right? right. A, a, <laughs> yeah, game, a yeah. game that the internet yeah, seems yeah. to hate, but also a game that has all these quiet moments that don't mm. involve the action. The action to to quiet moment ratio in that game is probably not not the same amount as Arrest a, a of a Stone Buddha, but I also haven't finished it, but I get the feeling yeah. that Arrest of Stone Buddha is deliberately spending those quiet yeah. moments. Yeah. But there's a lot like of one, times one? In, in Last of Us Part Two where you are not killing stuff, right? Mm -hmm. more, so, just like... more so than you, you the internet would be led to believe. And I feel that's mm -hmm. an example of a AAA studio taking those risks, but also yeah. fueling a bunch of money into cinematic moments. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Arrest of a Stone Buddha goes against that it goes the minimalist route in order to try and yeah. convey those and so much of it is not overtly stated yeah like a naughty dog game can spend all this time on actors making all these facial mo moments in those quiet moments that speak volumes whereas mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the absence of all that in uh stone buddha reinforces the player's relationship more with the character right right he does it. because it, because you are the actor you're you're doing the motions i'm actively deciding i'm gonna put my character's hands in this pocket because right. i'm determining he feels this way <laughs> and you're really making up the storyline for him yeah in your head yeah right because they're not telling you anything yeah especially like oh he's standing there puts his hands in his pocket to you it's probably because maybe you think he's like remorseful or something like that it could be anything it could yeah. be whatever the person it could be any small little tick like that and the fact that it can yeah. make those small little ticks like the choice of the jacket was already very big to me you can do, do i want a black jacket do i want an olive jacket do i want a white jacket i yeah i did not want to go with the olive jacket because it reminded me too much of like <laughs> vietnam like ranger gear you know yeah and yeah. And, and and i said well my character it sounded like he was in the army i don't think he would buy an olive jacket because that reminded him too much of the army i'm gonna get Sorry, I really loud motorcycle just scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to get the white jacket because maybe 
maybe he's seen too much bloodshed and he just wants to feel clean again. So I got the white yeah. jacket. And then he still <laughs> yeah. was wearing it in combat <laughs> and, and, and like getting yeah. it dirty. You could also buy it's sunglasses. Really... And then I thought like, no, my character doesn't think he's a badass. He's not going to buy these sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, this is out of line with his character. Yeah. But these are all the, uh, decisions that you make as the player, right? You wouldn't get any of this from watching it. You need to be a participant in yeah. it. How 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 was the music? So good, extremely good. Um, it seems like it would need to be really good. I, I, the, it the, it the is it is moments. discordant in a way. At, at moments, it is soft, and, yeah. and, and like I wouldn't say whimsical, but there yeah. is almost an enchanting tone of it. But there is it reminds this me of odd, out of tone riff in the guitar yeah that belies to sort of like yeah this chaos underneath it i'm gonna turn on i'm not sure how i can get you to 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 listen to it but i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it on in the video let's watch okay. the the video again but with with audio So, uh, overall, recommend recommend this game. It sounds pretty cool. Again, you have to be in the right mind space for it. This yeah. isn't a very traditional game. I wouldn't say it is. It is very fun in a way. The combat mm. is super basic. It is a little yeah. bit stressful. It is not quite as as snappy as you as you would hope for it. There's a bit of mu mm -hmm. mushiness and, and sort of give in a. Uh, Right. And how you, and but it's, how a, the it's an interesting concept in combat. It might be like a, a bit of novelty uh, fun to play that. Yeah. I, I'm invested in it because I want to see where it ends. I really like the idea it, it explores. And I think that is absolutely the whole point of it. And mm. it's been recommended I'm... to me a lot. Uh, Austin Walker pointed at a oh, nice. Austin Walker from Vice Gaming. Yeah. Um, who I follow a lot of podcasts pointed to. Uh, another person who made a whole list of Steam games to buy, and it's all these very odd little indie hits that that hit upon themes that I that I'm very interested in, like like this. So I <laughs> bought a bunch of them, and this one? was the first one that I got, just because it starts with an A. I went down a list. <laughs> <laughs> the first one on the first in the alphabetic order. How many yeah. how many hours is it? So it's far, apparently like... three to four hours. I've put an hour into oh, that's, it. That's actually I you know what I actually love short experience short games are are a don't blessing. cost you much <laughs> especially as we're older man i just can't like 
like that's a like as much as good as like all these games are like the last of us which i do want to play i it's it's definitely a barrier just to know how much time that i'll eventually put into it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah to just because you go into these things and you want to complete it the same reason it took me forever to watch spider-verse is that i knew i wanted to find like a two-hour period where i was just going to focus all on this and i'm in the right mood because i know it's so good etc etc mm-hmm. um and yeah, so it's hard to find the time for like some of these larger. I still haven't beat The Witcher. I don't. I don't think I'm gonna beat The Witcher. <laughs> I think. I think it's just I'm gonna find the story up from a video or something. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna be interesting when. It, it's an interesting time to live right now because I feel I want to be two different types of gamers. I want to be. <laughs> I want to. I want to be the. I'm not gonna say gamer. I hate the name gamer. I want to be two types Gamers. of video game consumer. <laughs> um, no, <just> gamer. <laughs> I would like. I would like to. I would like to be. I would like to keep up with Destiny and all those social games, Sea of Thieves, and all that. All these mm-hmm. impossibly lengthened games where you just get together and play with your yeah. friends and have a good time. But yeah. I also want to play the 1,700 games I have on Steam that are definitely not that that definitely say hey get into a mind in a in a space get to know what i the developer want to convey to you through these games mm-hmm. i will always have a soft spot for all mm-hmm. those games games mm-hmm. like obra din for example um and papers please from the same creator that played oh that. yeah papers please yeah, uh, yeah, yeah there's this game called anodyne which i've seen footage of it. and it's yeah it looks insane and a love letter to to like PlayStation games while also being very introspective and weird with its mm-hmm. story. Yeah. That I want that I want to get a hands on. Uh and then at the same time I have to play Persona 5 at some point. <laughs> and that's that's 100 hours where you balance the time between that and then doing stuff like like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> how Yeah, I, I how do you I, consume I, all I, that, right? I think that it's it's the age we live. We have to make decisions as because we're not going to consume everything. You're, you're not going to be able to play everything. And that depresses and, me so much. Because <laughs> that's okay, just games, uh, right? It, 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 there's books. There's movies. There's yeah. It's so true. Like I, I want to build Gundams. Books. I have Gundams that I need to build. I have oh, Gundams I, that are in boxes. <laughs> I'm a big fan of um, that kind of build stuff too. But I do it with Star Wars ships. Fair enough. Yeah, make, uh, fair enough. Great, they're, so <laughs> they're so relaxing to do that, though. I know. It's it. Yeah. That's that's my podcast time. That's that's put on stuff <laughs> and and listen to it. But you know what? I also like to do when I listen to podcasts. What's that? To play relaxing games like Hard Space Ships, Hard Space Shipbreakers. Hard Space Ship. So made by Blackbird Interactive here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen footage of this game. You know, it's. I was actually surprised that they came out with this style of a game. Not that I dislike it, because I think it's very cool. But it's not at all what I thought it was going to be when I first saw it. You know, I thought it was going to be much more focused on the homeworld combat kind of thing that they had going on. Because it's from the same... Oh. Um, like creators, you know, as uh, as as homeworld, as homeworld, uh, homeworld, and... deserts of Carrick, uh, yeah, exactly, and people that worked on that game uh, before it was officially a homeworld game. Before they got the license from Gearbox, they were working yeah. on it already because people yeah. at that studio have worked on original uh, yeah. homeworld. Uh, people like Rob Cunningham, yeah. who was on it was original a great homeworld like, one reunion for. The, that IP and then a bunch of like the original developers. So yeah. that's kind of cool. It's kind of like what happened with Destiny, right? Like you know they got their hands back on it. Yeah. Um. So hard space ships, man. 
Hard Space Shipbreakers. I know. <laughs> is a is a game where you are uh just a grunt, a grunt of this big military, uh, not military, like a salvaging corporation. Yeah. And you you're are the SCV you're in StarCraft. Sorry. <laughs> you're the SCV in StarCraft. <laughs> yeah, basically. And you're tasked with with all these ships that you can. Uh, requisition salvage? for your salvage yard and you just take them apart as you try to pay back uh literally a hundred billion nine hundred ninety nine billion dollars of debt so what's the <laughs> story behind that that debt that your character has like <laughs> it's it's just a debt that you take on when you become a contractor for this company because you got to rent out all your equipment you they, wow. they bill you for sending you into space they bill you for the hab that you live in the air that you breathe the tools that you rent <laughs> Wow. The suit that Capitalism you're inhabiting. Finest. <laughs> you got to pay for your oxygen every time. So every time you go out, you're trying to optimize your time because you only have a 15-minute shift. And you say, like, oh. okay, here are my main goals that are going to give me the most bang for my buck out of this shift. I need to yeah. quickly strip away these parts while trying not to kill myself in the process because uh, <laughs> the ship can depressurize. It can explode. You can hit, like, a power line. You can die, in which case you die. You got to pay the fee for cloning yourself again so you can continue working. <laughs> right. And your clone right. and your next of kin are going to take on your debt, oh so God. you better get this back out like, there. This is, like, just low-key a, a horror story. <laughs> this is this is, this is is late-stage capitalism dooms us all the video game. <laughs> you know, they've essentially recreated, like, Purgatory on Earth then. Because if you constantly clone yourself and respawn, that's what this is. This is purgatory where yeah. you're just living to die and then to like pay for your recloning. But there's always hope because you can always just build up your certificates. You can get more <laughs> high class ships, which have more materials that sell for so, more, and you chip away do, at that debt. <laughs> do you? Is it like you? Uh, you can get higher class ships that you are trying to salvage, or do you have like a base or? something that you use to like carry stuff like you know do you have your own little you ship or something you have the hab which is right which is that area that you go back into and you upgrade your equipment right okay. uh yeah. but uh again this game is in early access there are some oh, lines okay. of there's some lines of dialogue that uh that insinuate <laughs> that it is going to be a 3d area at some point that you're going to oh, be able like to walk the, around in. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. I see. Uh, at least I actually, you know, I didn't realize it was an early access. I no, thought it, it is. Was... It is It is in the most early of accesses. There oh. is only two classes of ships uh, available. Okay. And they come yeah. in different configurations. And, of course, their threats and layouts are pseudo-randomized. I Okay, so one thing that I'm really hoping... I don't know. I have no idea if they're planning to do that. But, mm -hmm. man, this game needs the steam workshop or something to enable mods i feel like it's mm. there's so much possibilities that you can do with mods here mm -hmm. like yeah i want to take a part of star destroyer that's immediately what i'm thinking right oh, like that's your high man. class item is like you take apart like a the broken death star or something so ostensibly uh the way the ships are built is, is they're all built with building blocks essentially right they're all yeah. put together so i don't see how if you can just take those pieces and sort of in a Lego fashion build yeah, out a Death together. Star? Yeah. Maybe it is possible. Maybe. Slap on some I, custom I, I, textures I, on that thing? <laughs> well, you got yourself a little Imperial <laughs> death machine. I have a feeling that that's I it just sounds in my head like one of those things that I hear people say that video gamers should or like game developers should do, but it's like way harder than yeah. <laughs> you expected. Like, oh yeah, just like oh, I remember. I remember this one. It was uh, you remember Daisy, right? Um, this that game with like 
it's a survival game with PUBG but zombies. Ah, right. You mean Day Z? Day Z. Day Days. I remember one of the comments was like, "Wouldn't it be awesome of the guns like had parts that would decay over time, mm-hmm. and then you like the model would look different as it decays?" And I'm like holy crap do you know how complicated a system would be like that to like have parts of your gun decay and you have to track the level of decay on each model and then you have to have a different model for each like this it's just like obviously this person just sounds like an easy idea you know you just have a little decay but like you have no idea how difficult it is on the back end to implement this crazy system and mm-hmm. all you get out of it is that oh it decays like ooh, it like it goes older like these are the kind of decisions that developers make all the time about mm-hmm. how they should spend their resources that people don't mm-hmm. really quite see. These guns Anyways, decay, I'm, for example. These guns decay. Do, oh, do they? Do they have like a, a a shelf life or something? Yeah, they have a shelf life. Uh, as you use them, they go down and they start to like crackle and spark and get all this oh. rust on them. As so, a... so you can kind of like first you can like re reload it, but then eventually you'll have to replace it entirely. Uh, you you can get repair kits, uh, oh, okay. and then you can patch them up. Uh, I hope that they add some sort of crazy storyline to this where you have to like there is there is a like bit of a storyline yeah. uh, you start the game off where this guy called Weaver who talks with a very drawl southern accent uh-huh. gonna uh-huh. take you through the steps of being a cutter oh my god and he says like I used to be a cutter like myself in the day but that was after the incident happened anyway <laughs> and so, the incident interesting. yeah okay uh, he's what just if, stuck what guiding game, all these newbies <laughs> what if this game right just a uh, theory craft here what if this game took place during a mission in homeworld oh i would i would and then you look out fun. into space and then there's this whole armada that yeah. just jumps in and starts yeah. shooting like and- and there's invading. missions like that where it's like, oh, you have to escort this this ship so that it can like dock with this this like old vessel, and you have to protect the vessel at the same time. Mm-hmm. But now you're in the first person perspective. Ooh, that would be, yeah. be pretty fun. You can see you can see that sort of the design of the ships uh, is mm. very homeworld. It's very rectangular. Yeah. It's very cubic. Yeah. There's yeah. definite inspiration there. It doesn't have the license on it. Not sure if it's mm-hmm. just they did not want to get it from Gearbox again for this game since it's so separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or maybe they're just waiting for the the official series to come up with the next iteration. I yeah, I want. Oh wait, Homeworld, they, by the are, way, they are they are 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 they working on another? Homeworld I have no game? idea. I have no idea. I feel I feel so, that would be I a no brainer. Uh, making Homeworld yeah, I would three think so after too. Deserts of Carrick was was I pretty so popular. Too. And man, like Homeworld is one of those great examples. Like we were talking earlier about Spider Verse and the efficiency like if you look at homeworld um the original series they did so much with a very small texture budget and it's a it's it's you can almost break down that old game in terms of like how you can hack good looks into like mm-hmm. with very very low specs well, it helps that they didn't have to make maps <laughs> yeah because it's all in space they're all in space they, they had have, to like, make sky boxes and, and yeah. then it was all just unit placement and logic mm-hmm. make the mm-hmm. ships look good you're like pretty much halfway there. Um, I say devaluing so, the entire art process. <laughs> no, no, I would say like like they put their efforts elsewhere. You can tell. You can mm-hmm. tell like they put the the ship's designs were really really strong and like the environments even though you didn't have a map, they had like that sky space. They were able to show space like quite prettily for like just having like a texture 
like floating in the background or like mm-hmm. there's a lot of hacks that they did that I was actually really impressed with. And mm-hmm. you can see that art style is translated in, in this new game. Mm-hmm. Like the, there, It's very interesting to see a studio build multiple projects because you can see the evolution of their own art style and like, you know, gameplay improvements as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this so- game. So it's in early access. Do they have any like announcements or plans for what they are going to develop with it or like what they're doing with it next? Yeah. They currently only have the first portion of the campaign ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Their full story campaign, they say is going to be about 40 hours long. Yeah. Uh, oh, 40 ha- hours. That's a big yeah, campaign. It's pretty hefty. Oh, and okay. they're going to add more ships, uh, oh, that, more classes ships, uh, and also a sandbox mode that dynamically creates a spaceship for you, for you to take apart and just oh. hang out in. And and the reason why I, I brought up this game actually involves that because, and why I brought it up immediately after Arrest of a Stone Buddha, yeah. is... There is this sort of tranquil worksman quality to this game that you get with sort of Euro Truck Simulator, which makes it a perfect yeah, podcast game. It's true. And that was, whoop, that's me almost dropping a controller. Um, so someone suggested on, on, on Twitter, and I apologize, I'm not remembering names. Uh, someone suggested uh, like putting on uh, Friends at the Table. It's his podcast, also by Austin Walker. You can see I'm a fan. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's an actual play podcast for a tabletop game, and they did one based on The Sprawl, which is a science fiction tabletop game, and it is almost the perfect thing to listen to. Everyone has been quoting this. It's the most perfect thing to listen to because it's just listening to a small space opera while you're in space, (laughs) just salvaging equipment, feels exactly like the kind of content that this space worksman would consume. Yeah, <laughs> and it puts you into this headspace, and even uh, Ryan fr- Ryan from work, yeah, one of the one of the technical artists, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he put a, he put a video on Twitter of him doing in like a like an audio pass and audacity to add this radio crackle, <laughs> and then some people are saying like, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if 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 this was integrated into the game and you could take any sort of hilarious. podcast or audio, and then when you get shocked, it would like loop." The five, the previous five seconds, because your radio <laughs> does become. There's a pretty. This the game has tongue in cheek moments in it, yeah. where uh, you have this very twangy country s- space cowboy music that plays while you're doing it. Yeah. While you're doing your your stuff, and if you get electrocuted, the radio switches to this old timey saloon music, and you just have to listen <laughs> to that for a while until your character like just taps on his on his helmet, and it goes back to the space country music. It would be cool if they like you could sync that up with the podcast. Yeah, like, or if that's or how they told the story, right? <laughs> yeah, like when I play VR games, I do do that. I like listening to podcasts when I'm playing VR games. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy, but I'm like you know I'm playing a regular zombie game, but I'm like I might as well listen to I don't know whatever my favorite science podcast is. Like yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny that you, you hit into an interesting type of game. Like it's been hit in a few different genres, but essentially like Minecraft and Harvest Moon these kind of chore games like animal crossing like what is it about doing regular life things that we we want to do in video games like why is that so appealing you don't think it would be appealing it's if a I just, sense like, of progression explained it to you it's the it's the immediacy of reward when i saw yeah. a ship in, in in hard space i immediately mm-hmm. see okay i've made 700 750 000 credits yeah. and 
my suit rental and all that cost me 440000 I made a profit. This is good. Let me go back in it's, there and slowly chip away at my debt. Same with Animal like the Crossing. Gamification. They gamification. Just because they gamify it, it makes it like pleasurable to mm-hmm. do. But it's right? also still work. Right? It's still, it's still, work. still yeah, repetitive exactly. yeah, tasks. It's still work. Which what yeah. makes it perfect to listen to a podcast to <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, that's 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 really true. Like I listen to podcasts when I'm doing chores, like doing the repetitive where I don't need to think about it, but then I, I still want to think about something, right? And mm-hmm. the thing that I'm doing is too too boring for me to think about exactly. it just completely. Yeah. For me that's it's like it's driving, yeah. it's it's uh yeah. it's doing the dishes, it's cleaning, vacuuming, any of that stuff, putting on a yeah. podcast and just feeling like i am progressing in sort of way in that yeah uh, it's funny how like i satisfying. do value games that i can just listen to a tv show or a podcast while i play mm-hmm. like that's not all the games like certain games i have to listen to the dialogue or whatever it is like the witcher i can't have music on when i play because it feels weird when techno is blaring and you have like a very like romantic moment happening <laughs> cyberpunk like, is going to fix that problem for you in the background yeah so cool. I actually I've been meaning to check it out. Like I mentioned, my uh, my producer's uh, husband works on it, so I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've been hearing about it already, and I've been keeping my eye on Blackbird Interact for a while because I was a big fan of Homeworld and um, sorry, Deserts of Deserts, De- I can't remember Deserts the, of Carrick. Carrack, Carrack, right, right, yeah. Anyways, Carrack. So that sounds pretty cool. Some of that Carrack cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that space Carrack. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, um, the the BBI artists are some of the strongest artists we have in the city. Really, like the the concept artists, very very strong. In terms nice of the work that they put out and the team that's put out. Right up there with like maybe it's funny though. The, just the bigger studios typically have the stronger artists, and I think like EA has some of the strongest concept or just purely two D artists that are around. Mm-hmm. And I think that BBI, for being such a smaller studio, also has talent that like is pretty like that rivals that level. What makes you say that? I've seen the concept art mm-hmm. and I've like, like, you know, just being working in the industry, you, I constantly keep an eye out for different studios and I check out like who's working there and uh, always comparing yourself to just make sure that you're up to par of the industry. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at uh, one, I looked at the artwork that they put out during the deserts of crack, uh, uh, you know, uh, reveal and their reveal uh, initially was like, very very reliant on their concept art which mm-hmm. was very strong it was, it was an was animatic with mostly animatic. concept art yeah. with the like with you gotta the, with really the big going over rachel exactly you really gotta rely you really gotta have a strong team if you're gonna rely on something like that i mean that was my like my uh kind of my my bone to pick with a bunch of those uh sony trailers was like you're you're trying to uh like really really impress me but it's it, it doesn't like quite hit that mark um, sorry. What was the last topic we were talking about? For some reason, I just like lost my train of thought. Hard, I'm trying hard to pick space. it up right now. <laughs> Des- yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So, anyways, the, what makes me think that it's a strong art style is because they had that trailer, as well as I look at the art profile of the kind of like some of the leads that are working there, and you can you can it's pretty clear you can see the chops. If you're another artist, you can kind of there's there's a very clear not a clear but it, like you get a sense. It's almost like like in those like anime movies when they're fighting someone super strong and like you can just they for some reason you just sense this person's really tough mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. like you get that sixth sense in art too where like when you, you feel the impact might, of the fists yeah like there's a <laughs> bunch of stuff that a master does that you 
don't know, obviously, that's what makes him a master, right? Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, you can sense that they're doing something that you you can't pick out what it is, but it's clearly good because it's like adding to this product um, or whatever art the work that they're showcasing, and you get that sense in art in um, in when I looked at the uh, the the concept artists from the BBI team there. And I, I don't I don't mean to suck up to them because I want a job or anything like that. It's more like <laughs> th- not everyone, like not all the studios have the same like level or need for high level, like concept art. A lot of studios, especially in Vancouver, we have lots of mobile studios. You mm-hmm. don't need to, that high level of a polish. You just need strong design decisions more so than super strong execution, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, anyways, yeah, that's what impressed me. I'm looking forward to you know seeing yeah. if they're ever going to make a home world game. Hopefully. That's a that's a very good point when you when you consider how deliberate a lot of the direction of those games are for deserts of character it was mm. it had this very uh like the music they used was very sort of uh Arab, arabic influenced i i believe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I the remember, instru- yeah. the instrumentation it's deliberately very slow very very paced uh, yep. sort of the way the old homeworld games it feels like a pilgrimage when you're yeah. when, when, when you're taking yeah. the uh yeah it's not called the khaleesi is it i don't remember the name of the ship yeah uh but you're talking about the 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 mother ship essentially yeah, right? it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah it's not khaleesi it can't be probably not i can't, can't maybe it'd be it, funny it, if it was. we'll have to fact check that <laughs> yeah uh but yeah that's slow we're, we're going on a journey across yeah. this whole desert and then we can be yeah. attacked or raised any time was reflected in in the movement of the ships the the, the pacing mm. of the music the uh, the bright sparks of the intensity of the combat and the slow lead up in and out of it, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Hard Space has sort of that. They're going for the more. It's so workman, though the way the yeah. way the way it is paced. It starts off. It starts off with really in a really minimalist and clever way with you signing that contract with Links <laughs> that gets you into yeah. debt in the first place. The billion dollar contract, and it feels like an escape because. The music they put in the background is, is you feel like you're stuck in this apartment mm-hmm. and there's babies crying through like the door. Someone is playing really annoying techno music. There's a couple <laughs> having a fight in the next door and the, you're bombarded with like all this noise while you're mm. reading through the biggest legalese ever. Mm-hmm. That's that's you're like scrolling through and I'm like, oh, my God, there's all these stipulations and all this <laughs> sounds very bad. Yeah. But I got it. I click accept and like yeah. tick all these boxes because I want to get out of this noisy apartment. <laughs> and that's um, before you even get into the game. And it's just bliss. It, it's floaty. It, 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 yeah. it moves slowly. You collide with everything. And yet everything is dangerous. And you're so <laughs> scared to touch anything. But at it's the same time, it's relaxing. You like... feel you can put on a podcast and hopefully not <laughs> cut into a fuel line by accident while you're while you're while you're doing it. It is, it, it is, it is, it is very. It's such a time and a space, literally. Yeah. That they put you in in the, in that Euro Truck Simulator mood while still being. <laughs> I'm not gonna say more of a game because that feels reductive, but it definitely feels like a curated experience that they want you to to yeah. to go through while also having re- repetition involved whereas your truck simulator is more of a on and off simulator yeah like i i always found it like i i found it quite i don't know like not strange but rare to see a studio make a game like this mm-hmm. i think it's a good idea 
it's just like you don't you very rarely see people make a decision to capture a smaller audience like i feel like everyone like sees a big audience like a like a boat battle rail audience and they just like they they get too invested in thinking the possibilities of what if i got all of that audience and what so if it's instead like, i had 200 people jumping into a map <laughs> yeah exactly versus like it's 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 refreshing to see a studio say like we want to we see this genre that doesn't exist or the space in the gaming world that doesn't exist right now and then we'll make it for like a smaller group of people that want this type of game because you know who knows it could be a ton of people that like this kind of game style but you would never know because no one's gonna take that kind of risk so it's kind of interesting that they're they're willing to do it i i'll try it i don't know how successful it it will be uh since it's in early alpha still yeah but um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of like fun just to try novelty games like this. Hey, maybe this is what gets you into friends at the table. Oh yeah, maybe. Just to, maybe. just throw yeah. in a little bit of a podcast. I I honestly <laughs> love that podcast so much. The the people in there are 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 very diverse from different walks of life, different genders and identities just and, and just together? all working together and having a good time playing this tabletop game. <laughs> it's it's incredibly wholesome. Uh <laughs> it's it, it's lovely it is it is one of the best podcasts out there so you know that's that's friends at the table friends at the table okay i'll check that out it's it, they just like play board games and stuff they play they play specifically a tabletop rpg uh oh yeah it's called, yeah, yeah. called dungeon yeah. world which is based yeah. off of apocalypse world which is a very story driven format right. um every action is more focused on what the character wants to do at the time and mm-hmm. what their capabilities are more so than just gaming the system in in a way that D can be fun for people and right. figure out those mechanics uh dungeon world and apocalypse world and all those other engines that run it like the sprawl which is a sci-fi mm-hmm. version of all that mm-hmm. um is more influenced about telling a story what would make right. sense in the moment yeah not like D where where you can make a bear character with a high disguise factor and yeah. because of the rules of that game, that just works, you know. Yeah, D and D is an interesting combination of almost two different games. It feels like mm-hmm. like it, it it laid the groundwork for almost all RPG mechanics that we use Some, today. Yeah, and then video it has games like weird, Baldur's Gate like, and all that weird improv sandbox component to it. And then yeah, I've I, I have been interested in those kind of games that separate them because not everyone's interested in both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's probably, I would say, D&D's biggest drawback right now is that people have to invest into both mechanics to really play any game versus there's a ton of people who just want to do the story stuff or there's a ton of people who just want to do the, the gameplay stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely definitely leans more into story while also having pretty satisfying gameplay decisions. To me, it's it's I've run, I've run games of Dungeon World before and mm-hmm. had a very good time, very inspired by Friends at the Table uh, <laughs> to, to pick that up. Nice. I've had people that customize their own um apocalypse engine style games and they and they made uh whole new character sheets and whole new mechanics that are based off the same uh basic actions that that uh the apocalypse engine do uh and those mm. have been fun to play in as well nice uh and all that all that came from friends at the table it does a very good job <laughs> of selling it and explaining to you how it works so really recommend it well uh that ends our ad for Friends of the Table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Austin Walker. You, I'm definitely gonna check it out. I need no new right podcast uh, while I play. Uh, <laughs> while I play Heart Heart Space. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Is there uh, is there anything else you want to chat about for Heart Space? 
Uh, no, I think that's it. Pretty much hit all the bases. Cool, cool, cool. Um, all the hard bases. <laughs> all of our bases, yeah. <laughs> nice, good job. Good fourth episode. Likewise. This is the fourth uh, episode, I believe right? you're, you're <laughs> going to be doing an episode of yourself of something very exciting, aren't you? Oh, that's right, yeah. So I'll be, uh, I've begun to <laughs> do some esports casting and commentating for uh, the local Val- Valorant scene. Um, I have a good friend, Matt, who is the VP operations of the gaming stadium here in Vancouver. And so this Thursday, we'll be casting and commentating our grand, fina- our grand finals for this massive turnip, turnip, uh, Valorant tournament that we had uh, over the weekend. So if you want to check that out, it's going to be at the gaming stadium, um, twitch.tv slash the gaming stadium. Um, and I'll be posting it out on my Twitter, which you can find like in my name down there, Kenha604. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, if you want to follow my art, you can follow it on Instagram by the same tag, KenHa604. Awesome. And uh, we've also set up an email address for Beyond the Pixel. That's so right. if you want to send in topics and questions, you can reach us at beyondthepixelpodcast at gmail.com. It's beyondthepixelpodcast at gmail.com. Then we can take a look at those and promptly ignore them. <laughs> or do something with them. <laughs> if you have complaints, hopefully things you like, hopefully. Things you send, don't like. Send, send those emails. Yeah. If you have complaints, just discard that. I don't, yeah. I, we don't need to. <laughs> We've received a lot of stuff on, on Discord of people that have enjoyed it. Some feedback from our own personal oh, friends about what, what can work better. And see, yeah, we've, we've started to doing like, if, topics you know, on, on the other panel. So yeah, that's helped us have, a lot. If you, if you want to hear a specific topic for us to talk about, shoot us an email. Yeah. Um, and then we might apparently be uploading to YouTube, possibly. Yes. If in the future. Uh, I'm building a home on, on, on ye olde <laughs> YouTube uh, for, <laughs> ye us to, olde for us YouTube. to house our stuff. And that's going to have enhanced audio. Uh, so you see, when we do it live, I have to take Ken's Discord. But uh, we've been recording on Audacity. So once I sync those up, uh, that's where they're going to live. They're going to live on YouTube in high, in, in high quality. I'll also replace the uploads on Twitch if you want to follow it there. Uh, and uh, eventually, we're still talking about it, but we're going to have an audio version of this podcast, which will have the high-quality audio. Um, which is partly so why this... you were like vocalizing all the descriptions I was trying to yeah. explain on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so uh, that, that will be available wherever podcasts are made available, eventually once we decide on hosting service and how we're going to pay for all that stuff. Cool, 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 cool. But until then, uh, that would have been a great time for me to start playing our outro. I didn't, so we're going to have to spin the wheel a little bit. (laughs) Just, you know, jabber, 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 stall, 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 while the music comes up. Yep, it's definitely playing right now. And now, (laughs) Ken, do you know what the most important part is? You got to wait for the drop, because that's the part that people come to. Thank you for watching, and you can always find us right here. Beyond the Pixel.